I don't know if we can do this. It's purple rain. We better do this. Our whole life has been building up to this moment. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Peach and Black Podcast. Your central place to hear unofficial news, reviews, trivia, and intelligent discussion on all things happening in the Prince world. Featuring the hosts, MC. You know, it's got all those classic Prince elements. Captain. Why wouldn't you just record as much as you could? Player. It's just like a story chest of ideas. Toe Jam. Either version. I love both versions. Hi, this is Larry Graham. You're listening to the Peach and Black Podcast. Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Peach and Black Podcast. We're all gathered around here today, around this virtual table, about to talk about one of the most important albums in Prince's discography, one of the most important albums, most likely in the Peach and Black podcast, or in Peach and Black podcast's history, I should say, and certainly one of the greatest albums in music of all time. And here with me to talk about this incredibly seminal release, it is the Peach and Black crew, introducing straight to you, Toe Jam. Hoping not to break up the connection. Player. Hello, how are you? Fine, fine. <laughs> And Captain. Play that backwards. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Captain. It's been so long, I've forgotten how to even do an album <laughs> review. <laughs> it's such a big show, guys. I thought you'd be prepared. Oh, I'm prepared. Oh, is the water warm enough? That's all I need to know. Uh... <laughs> yes, MC. <laughs> <laughs> the water's warm enough. All right, uh, as I said, we're all gathered here today to talk about this thing called the Purple Rain album <laughs> review. 30 years i'll say that again it's been over 30 years since the initial release of purple rain the album it's crazy it (laughs) pardon the pun but we're about to go crazy up in here i mean what what do you say about an album like this i guess we're about to get straight into that you know it's on countless best of lists it's one of the greatest soundtrack albums of all time constantly either rated and voted the best album of the 80s or number two on the list. It's constantly voted as one of the greatest rock albums of all time, followed by the movie, followed by the mass hysteria that erupted around the world in 1984 when this came out. And it's all primarily because of the power of this music. Stands up all primarily because of the power of this music, and really that's what we're here to talk about, because the music is what matters most to us. I mean, we will get into all of the... You know, all the other elements around this era, the band, the colors, the movie, and all sorts of shenanigans. But really, it comes down to the music, doesn't it, guys? It's nine songs, mini masterpieces, if you will. Uh, but I don't want to say too much. Before we get into these, you know, these wonderful songs, uh, or at least I think they're wonderful, we're about to find out what the rest of the guys think. Let's just open up with a, with a general discussion about this era and this album and 1984, really, in, in Prince's life and career. I'll just say something quickly first. The first thing that strikes me as I look at the cover is that it says Prince and the Revolution. And I know there's a little subtle reference to the Revolution on the 1999 album, but this is the first album that isn't just credited to Prince. It's a Prince and the Revolution album. So that's kind of striking. Yeah, definitely. This was the first album not credited to, you know, just 
Prince, who've written, recorded by, arranged, produced. This was the band. They got the credit. This album. They got some money. They're still getting money. <laughs> For me, I remember this era. It was like really crazy time. Prince was just everywhere. You know, between the album, being on MTV, the movie, the Pepperone tour. And then, aside from that, all the spin-off artists, so, like, The Time, Apollonia, and then he had, you know, Sheila E. Project, he had Shaka Khan doing I Feel For You, so, like, in 1984, like, you just couldn't escape it, like, Prince was everywhere in one form or another, and, yeah, it was just, like, a, a really crazy time, it's, like, um, everything sort of came into place around this era, so it, it was really sort of a uh, special time. And, and the other thing about this is that it's... This is a culmination, isn't it? This Purple Rain project, because a lot of... After this release, Prince blew up internationally. In a real pop sense, he became an incredibly popular artist. Not just musical artist, but you could argue, you know, a, a pop icon as a result. A cultural icon, even, for, a, for, for that period, while everything that he touched literally turned to gold during this period. But it all started earlier. As is often the case, you know, when Prince releases an album, seldom is the material of that particular year. I mean, I know some of this stuff was recorded in 84, but much of the material was recorded in the early to mid uh, part of 1983. And there's that incredibly famous date of August 3rd, 1983, where Prince previewed this material for the very first time at First Avenue in front of a live crowd. And a lot of that was recorded, I, I believe, the whole show was recorded and, and in fact much of it was used for the music that ended up, you know, being um, placed onto the, the actual album release. So you're listening to this album and, and a lot of it contains live elements, which I think gives it a lot of energy and power, you know, when you, when you hear it. What else can we say? <laughs> he did preview it for them, but not via speakerphone in Studio B. <laughs> the crowd went home and made their own YouTube video about it. <laughs> Yeah, we got so, taken down instantly by controversy music. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it was a whole new era for him, but really from a music point of view, it, it, you know, we're in 2014 and we take this sort of stuff for granted. But, you know, the fact that, you know, things are released on YouTube, the social media, you know, things blow up because of the hype machine and, and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, back then it was word of mouth. It was people going, who is this guy? Who is this band? What is this music? And the film had a lot to do with it. I don't want to make this whole review about the movie, but I think it's important to say that this year, 1984, is well as well known, probably equally due to Purple Rain the film, because it's so closely linked to the music itself. Well, it's one of those things. Is it is the movie promoting the album, or is the album promoting the movie? It's kind of both. What came out first? The album? Yeah, it did. The album did. But it's, it's really a springboard for Prince himself, really. Yeah. Both the album and the movie so it's sort of like they go in hand to hand with each other really yeah i mean the music on the album is used throughout the film it's also there's also some you know soundtrack music within the film that's not found on the album maybe we can talk a little bit more about that later but some of the music was written for the film that was then included on the album as i said some of the music was recorded live in august 1983 and then mixed and overdubbed in a studio and then placed on the album so it's a really interesting project from that point of view and that there's so many diverse elements that came together to make this classic album release. It's not just as if Prince went into the studio, put together 10 random songs and came up with a title and said, here you go, here's my new studio record. This is, this is much more than that, isn't it? Let's, let's just apologize now 
offer how many times we're probably going to say the word classic in the next hour and a half because <laughs> it's going to be a lot. Yeah, I didn't want to spoil the review up front, but it is. I mean, it's listed as one of the greatest albums of all time on Rolling Stone, VH1, and the list goes on. I mean, the Billboard Hot 100 blew up. What? They said it was number one? Or it was just on the list as no, on, one of the best? On the list as one of the greatest albums of all time. But, you know, that's in any genre, in mm. any era, by any artist. And, you know, many of the artists are just, as a bit of a side note here, many of the artists that are, um, that have albums on the greatest and best of lists are bands. And as much as this was a band, I still think that ultimately you... At least I relate this album most closely to Prince himself than a band. You know, it's not as if the Beatles, you know, when you think of the Beatles albums, you think, okay, you can dissect the albums and say there were were four almost equal elements that went into this work. Whereas I think this release, as important as the revolution were, it's still primarily a Prince project. I mean, there are some Prince solo compositions on here, which we'll, we'll, you know, discuss when we do our album uh, track by track review. But the other thing is it's a soundtrack. As we said, it's not just a normal studio release. It's a soundtrack to a movie and, and one of the best selling soundtracks in history. So look, it's a record breaker. It's a classic album. Let me say something about the fact that it's a soundtrack. A few times Many years ago, when you went to the music shop and bought a CD, there was... Um, Captain, would you like to just quickly explain what a CD is to some of our younger um, listeners? I think it's short for uh, a compact disc. <laughs> it kind of looks like a coaster, the shiny coaster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You use them like as um, wind chimes now. They're great. The CD, oh, a couple of times I went and you go, what do you do? You just go straight in there. You go to the print section. And I looked, there's, you know, 1999, there's whatever, there's whatever. Purple Rain's not there. How could Purple Rain not be there? You go and ask the person, you don't have Purple Rain. You don't have it there. Oh, that, that's in the movie. That's in the soundtrack section. What? What's wrong with you? Yes, technically it's a soundtrack, but you don't put it in the different section. Who's going to go and look there for that? You're going to go to the print <laughs> section and look for the Prince album. I thought it was ridiculous, and I said that. Again, <laughs> for our younger saving, listeners. <laughs> Captain's been really saving this up for a long time. <laughs> Many, many years. Oh, I mean, now, yeah. I just thought it was so that. stupid. <laughs> the technicality, well, it's technically, it's a movie soundtrack, so it's over, over a total opposite side of the store. Oh, ridiculous. <laughs> the extra effort that you had to oh, take. No. To- More steps. That's really yeah, rubbish. that's right. Anyway, let me say something about this album. I haven't said anything yet. This album was released on the 25th of June, 1984. That is... That's two days before my seventh birthday. That's how important this album was. It was released... For my seventh birthday. And for Peach and Black listeners and Prince fans, we all know the symbolism of, <laughs> of the number seven, seven don't exactly. we? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Seven. Uh-huh. But uh, you see, it's, it's weird because there's that. There were five commercially released singles. This was the sixth album that he'd released up to this point. And this was by far the best-selling album up to this point in his career. It's so, I think, I don't even know if these numbers are right. That's the thing. Because what the thing that I found says it sold 11 million copies in the US and 5 million <clears throat> everywhere else. But who knows how accurate those numbers are? Yeah, I mean, the, the last figure that I heard was over 20 million copies. Yeah, yeah, I've got that. But yeah. that's now. I mean, this I is heard more than then. I have... I have a figure of 30 million in my head. I don't know where I got that figure from. Hmm. Well, what I can say is when the album was released, it sold 1.3 million in the first week. So that was, that's a pretty big album. Yeah, that's massive. Like albums now don't. 
do those sort of oh, numbers God. in a week. No. No, no. no. And it got to number one on the Billboard charts, stayed there for 24 weeks. Wow. That's like five months or something. That's insane. Yeah. And up to now, I think it's sold everywhere you read is different numbers, but it's at least 20 million copies. Yeah. And then with the remaster, that's going to go up a fair bit more, I'm guessing. It is the sixth best-selling soundtrack of all time. Wow. That's huge. And at one point in 1984, Prince simultaneously had the number one album, the number one single, and the number one film in the US. And the number one perm. (laughs) (laughs) That was the first time a singer had achieved, you know, all three. And has that ever been beaten? I don't think anyone's beaten that since. Unless it's like, you know, well, One Direction or Justin Bieber, but that's just silliness, <laughs> even if it happened. <laughs> but that's that's just... Oh. See, this, this whole show is just going to be full of us saying unbelievable and crazy and insane... Well, so the thing let's is, just apologize now. The thing is, this is incredibly historic, and I said that in my intro to the show, but this album has been added to the Library of Congress National Recording Registry on the basis that it is a sound recording that is culturally, historically, and aesthetically important to society at large. I mean, because the story of Darling Nikki needs to be heard by everyone <laughs> ever. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's incredible. It's it's incredible the amount, the, the scope and influence that you know these these nine songs really uh, have had since their release. And let's just quickly add that it was released by Warner Brothers Records, and they did a marvelous job of promoting it, of marketing it, of pushing it. And of supporting it. And I think a lot of credit also needs to go to them because that was at a time when, by all accounts, Warner Brothers Records was still a serious music record label where, you know, artist development, artist growth, and certainly artist integrity was, was still a big part of that, what they were all about back then. And, um, it shows because it's an incredibly well made piece of work and it's great that it got that kind of exposure. Well, like I said before, five singles released. You'd be making Purple Rain money. Oh, yeah. Easy. When Doves Cry, <laughs> these were the singles. When Doves Cry, Let's Go Crazy, Purple Rain, I Would Die For You, Take Me With You. Both When Doves Cry and Let's Go Crazy reached number one on the US Billboard chart. The others, or some of them did okay. Some did better than others. But five singles off a nine-track album. And that's, those, that's yeah. impressive. Those singles that you just mentioned, think about the thematic content the the musical scope, the lyrical content, and also the different stylistic elements within those within those five tracks. It's pretty groundbreaking. And this was Prince taking that Minneapolis sound and adding a rock side. You know, I think Wendy at some point said Prince was a master of taking the taking the black and making it white. Well, well <laughs> t- taking the the you know the white rock guitar sound and mixing it with a, with a black bass line, and out comes this just. I don't even know how you describe it. I mean, it's, I'd say it's a groundbreaking piece of music because, you know, New Wave was popping up, disco was kind of dead, punk was over, the New Romantic era was coming through, there was some alternative uh, sounds starting to, to murmur with, you know, REM and, and a lot of other lesser known bands coming out around that time, more of a world music influence. I mean, Prince seems to just, I should say Prince and the Revolution, but predominantly, I think Prince's direction at the time was just to create this more experimental work. You know, we listen to this now and it, okay, a lot of people classify it as, as a, as a pop album or, or a pop rock album. This is a fairly experimental 
release. When you think about the discography of Prince, the artist, up until that point, I think, anyway. I mean, you've got Hendrix in there. You've got Chic. You've got Minneapolis Sound, obviously. You've got Funk. You've got... Vangelis. <laughs> no, seriously, there's some like some weird synth stuff going on. There are, yeah, 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 there are, and and you know the synth really was coming into its own. You've got some R and B elements. You've got you know Prince really for the first time, I think, mastering the idea of guitar solos on record. I think you've got a great mix of of drum sounds. Uh, you know, backing vocals really coming into their own. And, and a huge band sound, mainly because at least half the music on here is played by a band and relatively new band at that, you know, with the addition of Wendy and Brown Mark, et cetera. So, I mean, there's, there's just so much to talk about. I, we could go on and on and on and we probably will. But this was also the album that ended up winning Prince Grammy Awards. You know, the, um, I think he won an Oscar for best score in 85. It's just incredible. The before and after effect. You can almost classify Prince in his career before Purple Rain and everything that happened after Purple Rain. So it's really, it's a, it's a watermark moment in a landmark moment in his history. But the music incredibly, not only I think stands up to the test of time, but I would argue, and I know many other people have argued this, that its effect has grown since its release. I mean, you can hear his influence almost everywhere. And you can hear the influence of the revolution and their work as well, I think, in, in contemporary music, even even today. So we often review Prince albums, but it's rare that I think we have um, gone in on such a seminal release that, that made such a splash, you know, in the at least in the commercial domain and in the cultural domain as this one did. And every artist, every huge artist has an album like this. We, you know, we keep saying, you know, culturally and historically, from just think of it from Prince's point of view. You know, this was life changing. I mean, 1999 was big, but this just totally just blew that out of the water. And he just was, you know, the megastar. It was crazy how this album, he just blew up in a very short space of time, even though, you know, there'd been a build up. But this, this album came out and it was just huge. And you're right, before you said, you know, Warner Brothers had a lot to do with that. That was when, you know, they could do a marketing campaign and a promotion and back then that's, that stuff worked. Now, different story. Yeah. So why don't we talk about the songs? Oh, yeah, it's probably time. <laughs> probably time to go straight into the music and our track by track thoughts. So let's open up with potentially the greatest opening album track that Prince has ever penned. And I would argue one of the greatest opening tracks on any on any album i i can seldom think of of a better of better example of impact than track number one let's go crazy uh the album version is four minutes 39 seconds long it feels like a lot longer than that it's jam-packed with so many musical elements and and an intense energy player why don't you take this one away yeah, this is a positive, uplifting song with so much drive and energy. I agree with you. It's a great opener to any album, not just Prince, but by anybody. It starts off with Prince's opening sermon behind the big churchy organ. And that's when, a, uh, you know, the lindrum kicks in and it starts to rev up and then it, it explodes into the song. It's really cool. Thematically, it's similar to 1999, the song. It's kind of like living in the now and party like it's the end of the world type of thing. Musically, what stands out is how guitar-driven the song is. And, you know, it's the Minneapolis sound fully realized. All the elements are in there. you got your lindrum, the synths, the guitar. They all feature within the song. The part towards the end where the music stops for his guitar solo is Hendrix-esque. And it's blistering and it's an amazing moment on record. And then it goes into, you know, that slow blues 
bluesy turnaround to conclude the song. It's just a, an amazing piece of work and one of Prince's all-time classics. Captain. Before I say what I was going to say about this song, player just blew my mind a bit there, saying, you know, how guitar-oriented this track is. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad I... <laughs> you didn't I'm, notice that, Captain? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm getting to a point, eventually. I'm glad I blew something of yours, Captain. <laughs> No, no, this, so wrong. this album, not just this track, this album is so, there's so much guitar all over this album. But then you compare that to 1999, which had not a lot of guitar at all. That was all Lindrum and synths. It did have, it, uh, I think 99 uh, had plenty of guitar, but it was just uh, funk, yeah. it was like funk riffs. Yeah, like but, rhythm. yeah, yeah, rhythm guitar, like mostly clean sounds though. But this is distorted guitar, rock, yep. power chords. And that is, a, that is a huge shift from 1999 to this. I'd never even noticed that until he just said that. Huge difference between these two albums when you think of it that way. It's a good point, Captain. I mean, how many artists do that? You know, you think of like, I don't know, let's say uh, Nile Rogers, right? He produces all this disco-flavored funk material with Chic. Where, you know, Nile Rogers never came out with it. And this is not a slight on Nile, but I'm just saying, you almost can't imagine <laughs> Nile coming out with a with a really heavy rock sound. Yeah, Prince he- just comes out and he just gets away with it. That no, Roger's never done make no purple rain. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I'm sure he's doing okay without it. No, but you know, it's not. You know, I, I'm not picking on Nile. I'm just saying you, you, you make a good point in that That's it's a transition. It is. I know. Yeah. Until he said that, I all these notes I've got written. There's nothing about that difference from that album to this album, and it's a big point. I think all of these, all of these early albums, you can hear like. You know, there's an evolution between them. So, like, this one is, it's 1999, rocked out to the max. And then the next one is, like, taking the more experimental stuff of Purple Rain and going in a different direction. And so it's like this continual flow from one idea to the next. Mm. Anyway, this is what I've got to say about this song. Can I say number one hit? Let's go crazy. This was the second single released from the album. And, of course, straight to number one. You've already said, you know, could there be a better intro not just to an album but to a song a print song ever i mean you could you could not have perfectly designed a track any better for live performances than this one it just has every element that will make the crowd go crazy it's just i've said this about a couple of other songs in the past he had to have been thinking about playing these songs live as he was writing them because there's just things in there which you just know people are just going to lose it when you get to that bit and this song just has everything like that you start off in the church with the church organ and preacher prince he's, he's saying his stuff and i'm gonna say classic again i'm only on the first track lynn drum machine starts and off you go those massive crunching guitars come in first verse Oh, that's got lyrics. Someone can talk about lyrics and purple bananas and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. I've got some little funny things. At 2.35, there is just one organ, totally discordant organ chord, and it's sort of buried, but again, somehow it fits in this song. And it's just a weird little thing. It's crazy. And then, of course, you've got that classic, again classic, 20-second guitar solo at 239 i really like the riff that goes just after the chorus 145 to 155 and again 323 to 343 it's got this ascending riff on the guitar while the keyboard line goes up and down all over the place then 350 you have it must be the best example of his raw guitar skills up to this point in time that was captured on a record and then it ends with the big take me away which of course goes into the next track but we're not there yet 
Yeah, I mean, this you, you mentioned, Captain, that it's a perfect live song and that they would have, not only Prince, but the Revolution, most likely when they were rehearsing this and piecing this together and then eventually performing it live, would have had to have been doing that with the intent of always creating a showpiece number. You know, I mean, this, this one, it can open concerts, it can close them, it can revive them. It, it's an ing- incredible piece of music and one of the most not only well-known, but probably most played numbers. Yeah, yeah, he's played this pretty much every tour, I think, since yeah. then. It's it's rare not to have a rendition of this. In fact, most recently culminating with a slowed-down halftime oh, version. Reloaded. <laughs> exactly, which uh, I thought was fantastic when I heard it. Um, so, you know, the song is even evolving as we speak, and with that, we go to Toe Jam. Yeah, uh, I love the intro. It's iconic. I love the way the organ's sort of slightly bending in pitch as well. Um, so mm. it sort of reminds you of the record spinning around. You think, oh, is my record a bit bent or something? <laughs> and it's all left and right. Weird chorus effects going on that organ too, which is really cool. And again, like Player said, it's that theme of like living in the moment. And, uh, you know, lyrics like, um, you know, how much of your time, how much of your mind and all this sort of thing. Very introspective. But then it's like, you know, but at the moment you're on your own, and then the guitar comes in. So it's like, well, we're here on planet Earth, and we're going to rock out while we're here, which is cool. Uh, I love all the way through the song the interplay between the synths and the guitar. So you've got the the guitars, you know, you got the synths going, bam, 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 and then you got the guitars doing the chugging, don't, 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 don't. It's sort of like a real, almost like a girls and boys thing where the guitars have one part and the synths have the other, and they kind of play off, play off each other. So it's riff central. The whole song is riff central. Wow, a lot of the stuff's been said. It's in a Mixolydian key, which is a lot of the songs on this album are. It's got a real live sound to it. At the first solo at 2.40, I've got it's uh, the most iconic live solo. When that, you know, Every time you see him live and he plays the song, that that's the moment where it's like, yeah, the party's started now. Mm. Uh, and he's got that awesome guitar run rundown at, at the end of that solo, that into the next section. Yeah. Awesome. At 3.13, that's where the extended version keeps going. And, and it's, unfortunately, it's not on the album. I really love that extended version. Uh, we'll have to get to that when we do an extended version review show someday. Uh, and then at 3.50, that's where I've got the most iconic Prince guitar solo, take two. <laughs> and this one's more of a big cadenza, a big, you know, improvised, you know, let's see what, I'll show you what i got now, sort of solo. And then it finishes with a massive classic turnaround with the bass going down and the keys and everything going up. And I love the way through the song, you know, the melody is actually pretty simple. It's just this major three, major four playing on that, those two notes, just dun, 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 and then... But if, does that just sort of floats over the top of all this craziness that's going underneath with the with the bass and the drums and all the interplay and everything. So it's nice the way that melody just sort of floats on the top. And I agree with Player as well that, to me, this is like Prince taking the 1999 song and the album as well and just saying, I'm just going to have that and I'm just going to rock it out to the max as much as possible. And that's what we get. Uh, so it's a classic song. It works as an album song. It blows everyone's mind as a live song. Boy, it's hard to say much more about it, but I wish I could. Uh, it's a great song. How about where did this come in our top 20 greatest songs ever? It came in at 16. Ooh, yeah. so what's up there? Was this the highest track off this album? No. Ooh, so we'll get to that. Yep. Ooh. Yeah, right, 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 right. <laughs> Stuck to everything will be all right, 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 right. <laughs> That's cool, that lyric, though, because, um, you know, the Doctor Everything Will Be All Right is like, 
you could you could take it as like he's talking about a drug dealer, or you could take it as in he's talking about like a you know a modern day psychologist who will just tell him what he wants to hear, kind of thing. That's why I always hear that. The reason I didn't say anything about the lyrics is because the, I just have so many questions. It, the whole show would just be on the first track. There's just so many things I just don't get, so I'm just not even going to try. Hmm. That's one of them. <laughs> doctor, that's what I like about doctor, the lyrics. Everything like, will be all right. I, I always thought that was just you went to a doctor and he says, "Oh yeah, everything's fine. Go away." I think that's. <laughs> I think that's pretty much it. <laughs> but, uh, but they can be interpreted differently. But some of the lyrics in this this song is like it's almost like just sort of stream of consciousness. Like when you were, you know, purple bananas and you know what the hell. Uh, it, it, I like that about it. Just like this splattering of, of lyrics. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I agree. Mm. I think the lyrics are brilliant. I mean, they're they're not only stream of consciousness, but they're vivid. I guess every paragraph, every set of lyrics is just so vivid and they really paint a picture. You know, it starts with a sermon. Uh, you can imagine, you know, a mass of people gathered here today. Then he says electric word, life. Then he talks about the afterworld. And then he starts talking about Beverly Hills and modern life, which in 1984 would have been, you know, LA where they would have been based at. And he's talking about, you know, don't ask the doctor how much of your time is left. Ask him how much of your mind, baby. And then he starts talking about the afterworld again and how things are difficult there and don't worry about that just party back on earth you're on your own make sure that the devil don't bring you down kind of thing so imagine if you had never heard this song and you just were given these lyrics on a piece of paper you could so easily just read that and go this is just nonsense yeah the guy's gone bananas right you know if you, without you ever hearing the song without any you know background to it it would just look like some rubbish well i don't know about that <laughs> i mean but then you could look further and go oh, okay there's yeah, there's a theme and there's some stuff but just on a quick glance, there's some ridiculous things in this song, in the lyrics. I you remember know, when I first heard the song, like the, the lyric where he's like, I'm all excited and why? Because we're all going to die. And I think oh, that's like a real jarring lyric. But the more you think of it, like that's a really interesting lyric because it's like that we're here now and let's make let's make the most of it kind of mm. thing. Yeah, 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 we're all excited. We don't know why. Maybe it's because we're all going to die. Yeah. I used, to, hmm. I used to find that real jarring. But pretty pretty crazy it's, lyric. <laughs> it's, it's a deep lyric. Well, that's the thing. I mean, uh, a lot of the... A lot of us, when we talk about Prince's more social songs, we think of Sign of the Times or Dear Mr. Man or, you know, there are countless other examples. But, I mean, really, on further consideration, I think this one in, should be included in that in that category of, of social lyrics because he's really talking about the world around him as much as he is talking about what may exist or, when, or what may not exist after it's all said and done. And he keeps talking about the elevator, and the elevator has long been argued is a reference or another word for the devil. The elevator? Yeah, it's, it's, it's he sings it like D the elevator or something. Oh, the yeah. elevator. Are, are we gonna let Are we gonna let the elevator bring us down? Oh no, let's go, let's go crazy. Let's look for the purple banana. I'm not sure exactly what the symbolism of the purple banana until is until they put Let's- us in the truck. <laughs> because he's a nutcase and they're going to lock him up. <laughs> and yeah, you, you better live now before the Grim Reaper come knocking on your door. I mean, if there was ever a, a life affirmation type uh, lyric in a Prince song, I think that's the one. And this goes nuts live. Again, we've spoken about that, but it really brings it to a head when you experience Prince and the band playing this incredibly life affirming song right in front of you at full volume. I think that's what it was made for. But then he also he finishes the song with that massive coda and, and the incredible guitar solo. But he also talks about, you know, hang on tight or hang tough children. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming, which is a reference either to God or to Jesus or the Savior or the Messiah. 
most likely. So this this strong spiritual elements here as well. So thematically it is quite deep, but it's also scattered on all over the place. And the music's energetic and it's one of the best songs he's ever written. Let's just put it that way. And how um, brutal is that last lyric? Is take me away. You know, it's just oh yeah. It's brutal. And and his delivery as well. I mean that vocal yeah. is just really, really in your face. And there's uh, so much intense emotion behind that. I love listening to that. You know what nobody has mentioned about this track yet, and as always, we're spending way too long on the first song, is his vocal performance on this track. Just, you know, the way he sings certain lines, it's just, you know, it's spot on. You you couldn't think of it any other way. Like, one of my favourite things that the way he sings it in this song is when he says... It's near the start of the song where he says, punch a higher floor. Just the way he sings that, it's just like, yeah, blow your head off, let's go. It's excellent. Every time I hear that, it's good stuff. But yeah, no one said anything about, you know, you listen to a door, we spend half the time talking about, all oh, the vocal performance, but nothing on this. It's all about the guitars. <laughs> I think more than anything, it's about the energy. Which it's, is it's like through an energy the roof. Thing. Yeah. Like it's the music, the vocals, it's everything combined, the lyrics. It just, it's just a, like an energy feel good track. Yeah. Take me away. No, take me with you. <laughs> and track number two, take me with you. Toe Jam, what do you think about track number two? Uh, I quite like this song. I like the album version. I'm, I'm not a big fan of it when he does it live because yeah. it's sort of, uh, yeah. it's, I, I feel it's done. It's cooked, overcooked live. But this, I really <laughs> like the album version. Uh, and I love the moment in the movie as well. It's a bit of a cliche. Prince fans talk about this. But, you know, it really is in the movie. It's like the first scene outdoors and... And it starts with those big fills and it sounds all acoustic-y and you've got the tambourine and the finger cymbals just going the whole way through. It just everything's, everything's brightened up. It's in a big open chord of A, open key of A, which is a lovely guitar, acoustic guitar key. The snare is open the whole way through. And again, you've got this nice mix of synths and strings. And again, it's a Mixolydian song. And again, it's playing on that three and the four note of the scale. Again, just sort of floating around there, which is... Sort of something he liked to do in this 82 to 84 era. Yeah. Again, the lyrics are just perfect pop song lyrics. Classic boy and girl, you know, taping with you lyrics. And there's a few little sny ones where, you know, uh, the place in me that's calling out your name and he has a little wink in the movie, which is pretty funny. (laughs) 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 And um, after that lyric, it's like that's when you first get the strings going. So it's like a little, hey, did you get the joke? You know, uh, that's at 112. Um, and that's what I think. I think when they play it live, they do that little line too many times. Da, 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 da. It's like every ten seconds. Mm. But in the in the album version, it only happens every now and then. Uh, I love the bridge, the chord progression of the bridge. Nice sort of moving. <laughs> that's the all I want part. Uh, I also love the other comedic bit in the song where he sings about uh, your sheep affection, and then Apollonia goes, "Well, thank you." <laughs> <laughs> I laugh every time at that bit. Um, and I, I just love the big choruses and the big pre-choruses, the big open, you know, I don't care where we go. You know, it's a real sing-along song, you know. Apollonia's singing gets more prominent as the song goes along, and by three at three minutes, she's really out of tune. Um, but it's, I like that. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's naive. It's, it's um, yeah. But it's like, that's what I like about it. It's not over... No, Apollonia, you've got to do it again to get it right. It's like, no, it's, this is just a fun, you know, it's happy times. It's good. Uh, and I, I love the fills at the beginning, and then the fills come in again towards the end. And then when that comes back in with the A chord again, you've got these lovely bells. Like, they sound like maybe electronic bells just running down the scale. And then I only just noticed it today. There's a ringing note. There's a ringing organ or something just holding the sixth note of the scale, just sort of sustained through those bells. Oh, sounds yeah. really cool. 
Uh, and then just as fading out, you get the big ooh, 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 and you're like, ah, oh, what a beautiful song. So I, I really love this album version. I'm not a big fan of the way it's done live. I think it's, yeah, like I said, it's done live, but this is a really cool album song. You know, this this was the fifth and this was the last single from this album that I would consider this the best pop song on this album. Yeah. More than As, yeah, anything song, else. Yeah. But this is the kind of song where this this song could have been released by anybody at any time and it would have been mm. a massive hit. Yep. Right, yeah. If anything, it's probably been a bit undersold being on Purple Rain. Being yeah, with so many other tracks, yeah. Great tracks. But this is very similar, I find, to Raspberry Bray, and that must, that's why he always plays them together in a little medley a lot of the time. They've got like the, those same synth strings and the little finger cymbals, male and female vocals, duetting, you know. Here they. It's definitely, you know, cut from the same cloth, as they say. But again, perfectly designed for an audience to sing along to. You couldn't design a track better for, you know, audience participation. It's just, perfect for it with the big line at the end of the chorus everyone sings it oh it's great i mean it starts with these big dramatic drum fills and then the synths and i remember thinking the first time i heard that i'm like what is this where is this going and then it sort of just slides into this little duet pop sing-along track but yet it's this big dramatic start but yeah i mean you told jam you said it's got quite raunchy lyrics even for a standard mainstream pop track but they're just you know you know undercover what, what am I trying to say? They're hidden Subtle. slightly. Subtle. Subtle. Hints, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. But yeah, and there's these little tambourines and these little bell sounds all through this track. And then you really have, Toe Jam, you said this too, there's a bunch of bells come in about 325. And I'd never even noticed that before, just like you. And now I cannot unhear those bells. They're really up there in the mix and it's just there. How good are they? They're awesome. I know, it's, it's, it fits perfectly. Beautiful. The only real thing I don't love about this track is that tuned snare drum. That just sort of, that's another one of those things. Once you've heard it, I, I can't unhear it. Every time I hear it, it's just boom, boom. Yeah, it's very boom. Dead, dead sound. Yeah. Yeah. But as good as a pop track as this is, whether this is true or not, I just, I read before, because of the inclusion of this song on the album, both Let's Go Crazy and Computer Blue were edited down. Oh. So for that reason, I like this song just a little bit less. But apart from that, I really like it and it's a great pop song. But editing Computer Blue and Let's Go Crazy down for this, I don't know. What do you think, player? Okay, is this song the first, up until this point, credited duet with Apollonia? Credited duet. I think so. Possibly. This is the first, isn't it? Mm. Must be. I think splitting the verses up is a great way to make the song sonically interesting. Lyrically, it's a great form of escapism. Musically, it's a great pop song, laid back, some sexy finger cymbal accents... Really nice orchestration and string arrangements with the synth overdubs to add layering to the sound. Underneath it, there's some really nice acoustic guitar. Works really well on the record. Works well in its placement in the movie too. It helps narrate the story, this song. The bridge part is the highlight where the music rises and they do it together. It's a really cool moment. And I've got pretty much word for word what Toejam said in my notes here. And that is, I'm not a fan of the line renditions of the past 15 years or so, where he races through the first verse, straight to the chorus, then straight into Raspberry Beret. You know, mm. it's sort of a bit butchered and raced along. It's like, you know, why even bother doing it if you can't, you're not going to do it at all, you just, know? Just knock out a good 70 seconds of it, that'll do. Yeah, but here yeah, on the I record... I just find they spoil that. Da, 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 da. That just, yeah. just too many times kills it. But here on the record, it's, it's, it's you know, it's, real, it's a song that I still love and it still retains its charm. And it's a really well-crafted pop song 
as Captain Sid. I really like the album version, but yeah, I could give it a miss live. Like this album was, I bought Purple Rain and 1999 on the same day. Wow. And it was like the fourth or fourth or fifth album, Prince albums that I'd ever bought. And I proceeded to blast them both, I don't know how many times, like nonstop for at least like three months until, you know, I bought the next one. This is, it's a good pop song. It really is what it is. I mean, you guys have said it all, really. Take Me With You is a good pop song. It's also... It's a great pop song. (laughs) It's also um, one of my least favorite songs on this album and one that I've never been able to get into live, one that I've never really enjoyed listening to for some reason because I think it's a bit too M.O.R., you know, middle-of-the-road songwriting. I think it was written primarily for the film and it's a bit odd that this is song number two i mean if you would have started the album with let's go crazy followed up with let's say the beautiful ones coming next or even darling nikki or something it i know it sounds crazy and almost sacrilege to say this but to me it kind of, the album loses steam in a way because of take me with you it, it's still a good song it's still it's a bit like our show <laughs> yeah <laughs> It's just that the, the the first three tracks, like, I wouldn't call them three of my favorites or three opening classics. I wouldn't say that at all. I think Take Me With You is, it's good for what it is. It's got some nice instrumentation. It's happy-go-lucky. But it's a bit too sugary sweet and not enough meat, I, I not enough substance for me. I knew you were going to say that. I knew you were like, going to say that. I don't, oh, I, I just, sappy. I've got nothing bad to say about this song because it's not a bad track at all, but at the same time, it doesn't inspire me. It's one of the songs that I least want to listen to when I pull out this album. The other ones are just so much better. But look, for what it is, it's good. It's reasonably good songwriting. It's constructed quite well, but I don't really get overly inspired by it or, or overly animated while listening to it. That's basically it. I mean, Apollonia in the background, fair enough. Adds, adds a bit of a, <laughs> Adds a bit of a, um, <laughs> you know, mixes up the vocals a little bit. But no one's mentioned yet. This was originally supposed to be on the Apollonia album. I think. Well, Captain well there talking, you go. If, yeah, if there was ever Cap- a. Captain was talking about how they had to edit down "Let's Go Crazy" to get this one on, mm. uh, but we didn't and, actually and, mention it. And computer blue. Yeah. Oh. Well, there you go. I mean, if it was supposedly for the uh, Apollonia album and, and not for Purple Rain, then then it tells you more about. Uh, my review of the track than my actual review of the track. <laughs> but that's that's about all I have to say about it. Well, Prince thought this song was good enough to go on this absolute monster album soundtrack to a movie. Yeah, I because think you need this song on there. Yeah, because of the movie. The, the, the scene in the movie. That's why. That's why it's on there. It's because of that scene where he takes her on the bike out. Yeah. You have to have that song on the album because of that. I think you need the song on the album just to open it up because it's pretty dark. Well, I don't say dark, but it's, yeah, it's it a very right. thick album. Like it's very yeah. dense otherwise. I think you need something that's a bit lightened up a bit. Well, I don't know. I reckon the eight tracks, the eight dense tracks would have been great. I mean, we had eight pretty sparse, pretty thick, pretty dark tracks on Dirty Mind. I think this could have been a better album with eight songs on it. Oh, I don't know. Controversy. Because you, you, you guys are nah, right. No, that wouldn't have fitted on here at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, but MC, MC, how many records have you sold? <laughs> <laughs> the question is not how many I've sold, but how many I've bought. Um, and the more I think about it now, I know we're not up to this, but if you take Take Me With You and Baby I'm a Star off this and just listen to the other s- remaining seven tracks continuously, that would be one dense 
album, wouldn't it? We, uh, yeah. I'm going to slap you if you start this. panning Baby on the Star. Well, no, no, I'm not panning. I, I like uh, that. Good. I love it. I love it. That's a, but let, let's not get it. Well, now I'll spoil my own review. Fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> but look, let's go into track number three, unless anyone's got anything to add to take me with you, outside of the fact that you is spelt with one letter. Take us out of here. <laughs> take me away to track number three. The beautiful Ones. That's right. Player. This is a... OMG, oh my god, wow moment, both on record and on the film. Another Prince masterpiece ballad that bubbles from passive beginning to climatic ending. The underlying music at the start is really cold and mechanical. It really suits the mood of the song. And um, this is another one of Prince's do-wrong songs, and he conveys the emotion and the angst and the desperation really well through the music. And his passionate vocals right up until the uh, screaming climax. I think it's a fascinating look into Prince's mind and outlook and his feelings. And, um, you know, it's done with such conviction and it's believable. And he's wearing his heart on his sleeve, which makes the difference between a good song and a great song. Um, and this is a really powerful piece of music. Again, it's a masterpiece. All right, all right. Uh, player calls The Beautiful Ones a masterpiece. Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this? I would have to agree. It's amongst the Prince fans, probably, amongst the most popular out there. What did it come in our top 20? It was it was up there, wasn't it? It was in the top 10, I think. Beautiful Ones was five. Yeah. Thought so. Fifth greatest. And I think that's pretty fitting. The title is awesome. It's just got a cool title, The Beautiful Ones. You think that That's like a really intriguing title. Uh, you've got this, this synth bass doing a sort of randomizer thing. Uh, interesting effect. You've got the piano playing the sort of staccato quavers, chords. Interesting. And it's just like a swimming in a, a big sea of synths, almost in slow motion. And that, that's where I got this Vangelis thing from before, which is the guy who did Blade Runner and Cosmos and what else did he do? Who did Chariots of Fire? Chariots, Chariots of Fire. Yeah. yeah. And that sort of, that futuristic synths atmosphere stuff is just all through this album and there's, there's some of those background scents in this just go to these just float around and it's almost like you're underwater and they go to these weird chord tones and then they resolve and it's just constant sort of tension release sort of thing it's just beautiful all the way through it's got a real carousel kind of sound to it especially when it goes to the you were so hard to find that bit's like a rule like you're on a carousel it's cool love the imagery with you know stuff like paint a perfect picture smash it all this sort of thing and then you've got the massive big build-up, which just rotates between the flat six and the seven and the one. And he just lets it rip with the screaming. And it's probably his most iconic screaming song. And there's so many of them, but uh, this one's just... There's just three or four moments where it's just the vocals are piercing and they, they cut right to your heart. And you can feel him all angry, you know, with that big, whoa, looky here. You know, he's, he's going <laughs> to lay it down. Um, but I, I love his vocals in this era, sort of 82 to 80 seven i guess it's his his vocals are they're just really strong but he's playful with them as well like he, he's sort of operatic but it's sort of over dramatic it's almost almost comical but it's sort of it's like it's this untamed beast and it's sort of maybe from sign of times onwards he became a bit more tamed with it but it's really interesting his vocals in this period i think because uh, he's just so experimental he's doing everything trying to get as many grunts and as many high runs as possible and sometimes he doesn't always quite get it but it's just it's always interesting i wish i had more to say about the song and again, this always goes well live too, because so, uh, the crowd get into it. They're like, yeah, you go, Prince. You stream that note. When he screams that note, everyone's like, yeah. Because <laughs> you think, one day he's not going to make that note. You think, yeah, he's still got it. And, and I want to be in the audience for that, <laughs> for, that, for that show too. It's a solo performance to start with. So, you know, it's Prince on, on all the instruments. It's Prince composing it. It's Prince on the vocals. And 
it's a Prince penned song. It's also an interesting take on the emotional toil and the emotional impact of what the song's about, which is lusting after another person, in this case Apollonia, which is perfectly understandable. But he starts off the song incredibly quiet, and it's almost like it's set in, in three parts. You know, the initial kind of setting the scene phase, then there's the the kind of more detailed uh, description of what the beautiful ones represent, who the beautiful ones are. And then he asks some interesting questions about, you know, what if I told you I was in love with you? If we got married, would that be cool? And then he goes back into the confusion and the desperation and the high emotion and the high drama of what Tojan was talking about, which kind of begins when he... um when he sings the lines, the beautiful ones you always seem to lose in that great falsetto that really starts taking over the song. And then by the time he starts asking the questions, do you want him? Do you want me? Do you want me? I think he says that three or four times towards the end of the song. And then there's this whole playful, I guess you would call it almost gloating. You know, he, he's talking about he knows what he wants and he knows that who he is and he's a real man. And, <laughs> you know, he's going to it's almost like he's going to grab this this character again in this case apollonia so you can perfectly understand but <laughs> you know he's gonna i'm gonna make you mine kind of thing this song reminds me of a song called i put a spell on you originally by screaming jay hawkins and and redone by countless artists globally but there's a really direct influence i think of i put a spell on you to the beautiful ones in that the protagonist in this case prince is a bit of a maniac, really. When, from one side, he's this guy who's completely obsessed by this object of desire that is so beautiful in his eyes that he can't tear himself away from it. And that's what the song's about to me. The, and the conflict of you can't have it all, and at the end of the day, he's just going to pledge his... He, he sounds like a tortured soul. Yeah, by exactly. the like, Yeah. You know, with the screaming and all that, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, a, it's an obsessive... Uh, song and I wouldn't be surprised if it was obsessively constructed as well because it's incredibly well put together like a mini movie really I mean this song in a way is Purple Rain in a nutshell don't you guys think? I think it was inspired by Susanna actually this song hmm. it's been documented so yeah look I and, and as far as everything else that you guys have talk, spoke about musically I agree but I, I wouldn't mind getting Captain's thoughts on this now uh, Captain what do you think about this track? I might as well mention now, we're three tracks in, and I might as well just say, I'll, I'll just say it now, there are no bad tracks on this album. There are great tracks and some less great tracks, but there's not one I would consider bad or even average. Every song on this album is above average. Even Take Me With You, MC. Anytime, Captain. <laughs> <laughs> Play is said, you know, I, I think this is really one of the, the first of his great ballads. There were some good ones before this, but this takes it to the next level and just blows it away. Just the atmosphere of this track is, it's astounding. Like, the, there's this massive reverb on just about everything. That helps. But just the sound of it, it's just, you know, I don't even know the words to say what it is. A lot of the sounds in this track, they're straight from the 1999 album, but, you know, he's still using the same synth, so of course they're gonna sound, they were going to sound the same. But that's fine. That's not a bad thing because I like those sounds anyway. But, you know, I really like the end of the chorus. He sings the beautiful ones you always seem to lose. 
and every chorus when he sings that lose it gets higher and higher and then you get the crazy do you want him or do you want me as amazing as that vocal performance is the music that comes just after that is it's just as good the rest of this track just blows you away you know i'm begging you down on my knees the screams in the last part of this track like toe jam said these these are some of the best screams i think he's ever you know captured on a record they're just unbelievable and also hearing this live in 2012 when prince came to australia it was pretty good i was i I was satisfied with hearing this and hitting all those notes which possibly one day he might not be able to do but we heard it when he can do it so i'm happy with that so this is a great song i think um while you were saying review i remembered a wendy and lisa interview I can't remember who it was. They were saying that one of the moments, you know, they realized Prince was amazing was that, you know, he went away, like they're recording this album or something. And then like the next day he comes in with the beautiful ones just done, like within like 24 hours. And can can you imagine that? Like, can you imagine like being in a band with this guy? And he's like, oh yeah, here's what I did last night. And just hearing that, you'd be like, what the hell? (laughs) Like this guy's not on the, from this planet. Like, (laughs) yeah. Yeah. I mean, this song is the one. I mean, if this was something he'd been working on for 20 years or something and put his entire life, but it's like, you know, he does it in like 24 hours or something. See, as as much as I want to believe that hype, I don't know if I can. I mean, he might have been working on it by himself. That's true. true. Just even just for a few weeks though, not months or years. But in terms of just putting it together, you know. But you know, and then he just, and then just to perpetuate his own myth of how prolific he is, he just comes in and goes, Oh, I did this last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but don't mention you've been working on it for the last month. But oh, I, yeah. last night I just recorded this. Here we go. <laughs> See, uh, I'd like to believe that you know he does these songs in an hour, but I just I I can't. It's just that's how hard it is to believe that this is possible. That's how good it is. It might be true, but it's just like beyond my comprehension that someone is that insanely talented that they could do that. The other thing is what kind of state of mind would you have to have been in to produce a piece of work like this? Yeah, it wouldn't have been a very happy place. Well, (laughs) (laughs) I think it would be an interesting place in that this is not a depressed song. It's a song of conflict, as Player said before, like this this picture of this tormented soul almost because he's tearing himself apart over – wanting this woman really who is the beautiful one but it compounds because the song is not just about you know by extension it's not just about one individual it's about all of them all the beautiful women out there and so in a clever way prince has written a song about not only an object of desire that is directly linked to the movie but also about women in general in the general sense so there's also that and then you know you add the music on top of all that and the thing goes into overdrive, and what a, what a great example of um of just let's, a song to let's blow your head Let's face it, he, he's given a song to every nerdy teenage boy who's ever not got the best-looking girl. <laughs> <laughs> or <laughs> every teenage boy who's lusted after the best-looking girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> An anthem for you. <laughs> That's right, from many years ago. But how good was this? 2012, Sydney, the beautiful ones. It was fantastic. Didn't he do it on the piano from memory? Yes. Yes. And it had like a, like a keep, like a road sound or something. But it was, it was full, full band though. I can't remember. Cause I remember the sound check. You know, they played it like about seven times, like full thing. And they'd get through like 30 seconds or a minute into it. And he'd be like, no, nah, no, nah, wrong. <laughs> Do it again. Hmm. And like, they just kept doing it, t- kept doing it until it was perfect. Cause I'm, that's why, oh yeah, I'm sure it was banned. I mean, he might have started off by himself. Hmm. Anyway, that's that song. Okay. And with that one, three punch, do you see what I did there? Uh-huh. Uh, we go into track number four. 
the hits just keep on coming. It's track number four, <laughs> Computer Blue. Uh, Captain, why don't you start this one off for us? I'll start this off by saying, as far as I know and have read and have heard from various people, the full version of this track is something like 12 minutes, 14 minutes long. And what do we get here? Just under four minutes. Wow. So straight away, I'm like, come on. There's 10 minutes, 10 minutes of track gone. Who knows what was there? It's just sad. You're only getting a, a small percentage of this, you know, the full track. Maybe one day Prince will be so nice and release it. Anyway, we can only talk about what we've got. So, first off, you get like 30 seconds of guitar feedback. Wow. Cool. Wendy and Lisa talking. Wow. So exciting. And then, then finally something happens. It kicks off the main riff. The main riff of this, it just kills you. It's just rock. It's just guitar rock. It's very good. And you got the guitar and the synths and 123 to 137, you just get these absolute just bashing cymbals. And I'm sure he broke a drumstick or two just playing that because it's just insane. And it happens again later as well. Parts of this track use sections from Father's Song, which is why Mr. John L. Nelson has co-writing credit. That was in the movie, wasn't it? His father played that section of it. On the piano. On the piano. Yeah, the guitar solo part. And man, it kicks off at 328 with that crazy guitar and the cymbals just smashing again and then the big scream and that's the end now what I just said doesn't sound great but what you need to do is go and listen to the song because that's much better than anything I just said (laughs) (laughs) because I don't even know what to say about this song it's just I'm not going to say it's a classic I'm just not going to say it so someone else say it (laughs) well it is a classic I'll say it and the thing I love about this track as well is the title I mean this this would have been recorded in 1983 and he's talking about computers which weren't exactly a um, you know household item um, and already he's making the connection between technology and depression, in a way. Uh, he's he's feeling computer blue. He's got the blues. Oh, so, is this yeah. song? Is this song like about cyberbullying? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so sure. But he, he was way ahead of his time. Jeez, I never knew. <laughs> every, every time I hear this song, I don't know that I think about cyberbullying, but I certainly think about uh, guitar pedals, mm. without a doubt. And I think of the end part of this track in particular where he, I don't know what the effect is called, but he's stepping on those pedals and it sounds like, it's not quite wah-wah, it's something else. But I think you guys all know the moments that I'm talking about. Mm, It's almost like a, a he creates like a rubber, like a rubber band sounding electric guitar sound bite and it's fan bloody tastic that's one of the best parts of the song it is that it's got tremolo it's got wah wah it's got everything on it <laughs> yeah, yeah. as far as i know naturally produced tremolo no whammy bar at all really this is the pre-whammy bar era it is and, and no cowbell either <laughs> that's right <laughs> So yeah, heavily edited down track, but really I can't complain with with the f- just under four minutes that this um this uh, version is. But again, the lyrics very very interesting. The, is the water warm enough? Such a classic line in the Prince canon and in, in, in Prince fandom. But I love the the second paragraph. Where is where is my love life? Where can it be? There must be something wrong with the machinery. That's a good line. You know, he's comparing his love life to mechanics in a way or machines. It's like like something that's mechanical. Yeah, but isn't he comparing his machinery and saying it's faulty? Yeah, well, possibly. Well, that's what possibly. I thought he was yeah. saying. I mean, whatever it is, it's a, it's a, it's an interesting way of looking at 
emotions and everything that stems from that. Because he, he keeps referring, you know, he's, he's basically looking for someone, looking for something, whether it's for a woman or whether it's for a, for a spiritual leader, who knows, but because he says, you know, until I find the righteous one, I'll be computer blue or I'm computer blue. But outside of that, there's not a whole lot in the lyrics. And so the music really carries this song more than anything else. It's really the, the lyrics are computer blue. Till I find the righteous one, computer blue. But the guitar, the heavy guitar riffs and raw uh, cut vocals uh, just propel this song into the stratosphere. I love listening to it. It's really, really visceral. And um, with that, we take it to Toe Jam. I like the song, but I don't know that I like it as much as you guys. I find it kind of plods along a bit. Oh, man, I'm sounding negative. But <laughs> I don't know. I often skip this one. It doesn't... What? Skip? Yeah, I like, I, I like all the elements in it. I like all the guitars. I like I mean, and analyze any bit of it. I like it. But as a whole, it, it sort of doesn't do a whole lot for me. Toe Jam, you've been a very naughty boy. Yeah. <laughs> now you um, <I> must die. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, where'd you go? Hey, where'd you go? <laughs> hello, hello. hello, hello. <laughs> no, like I love all the guitars and I love the performance in the in the movie and, and everything. But yeah, I don't know. I just can't put my finger on it why it doesn't grab me as much as I think it should. It's got it's sort of following on from the song Automatic, which is one of my all time favorites. It's got the same sort of theme again with this like MC was saying with the machinery and all this and and I wonder how much there was another song around that era with the same sort of thing as well. And I wonder how much that inspired someone like Janelle Monet, who had that uh, whole album series about her being a cyborg or something. Mm. Uh, cyborg? Cyborg of some sort, some sort Arch of robot. Android, yeah. yeah. Android, yeah. And so I wonder if you know that comes from songs like Automatic and Computer Blue or this sort of thing. Most of it's been said. Um, the bridge comes in really early. It's like one minute thirty nine or something, which is really early for the bridge. But that's obviously with the edits. Lots of big synths falling. There's a big synth fall at 2.16. That's a cool bit in the song. And the bass um, comes in, yeah. Actually, now that I think, I think I know what it is that doesn't quite do it for me. It's just that the whole song is just bass, snare, bass, snare, bass, <laughs> snare. And I don't think it deviates from that at all, other than that little... And I think that just, yeah... But you have to remember, you're listening to a heavily edited version. Like, it's four minutes. It was oh, supposed, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was supposedly, in its original form, 14 minutes. That yeah. might have been more similar to what to the way that was, the song Crystal Ball was constructed, you know? Uh, so, in the um, the John L. Nelson part, got the piano, I think it's on the left, and you've got the guitar on the right playing the same line. But then the guitar does little fills in between it, which is sort of like Prince saying, Hey, Dad, I can do it better. <laughs> uh, and uh, at 318, you've got the big sus resolved chord, then takes it back to the original key, which is where MC has that little... Uh, wobbly guitar bit which is really cool uh, and again it finishes with a big scream what's the what does he actually say I think it's just yeah 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 it's just rah, 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 rah. <laughs> never worked out what he actually says <laughs> yeah so this is a, like this is a cool song I, I don't want to slake it too much it's it's a great song it's got all the elements you want it's, it just doesn't do it to me as much as some of the other songs you can you can admit it's a great track but you don't yeah. have to personally love it yourself yeah that's a good way of putting it this is there's songs like that. There's songs, I think they're excellent songs, I just don't like them that much. I just think, you know, I like to have what song is the most skippable, and I was looking through the album and thinking, I reckon this one is the one I probably skip the most. Ooh, oh, I would wow. not That's pick this. <laughs> wow. I don't want to mention Third Eye Girl, but I will say, this is a track he needs to bring back and play. Yep. Just rock out. I mean, I don't think he's played this since, like, maybe 2000, 2001? Mm. It was the last time he's played it from memory, and, ah. Oh, Prove Toe Jam wrong. Prove Toe to Jam wrong. <laughs> you know, he's been he's been having a lot of fun on the guitar lately. He's he's well practiced. He's he's ready to go. So play this. 
blow my head off. I should also just say again that that little the hook line. Again, it's like playing on the three and the four. Again, mm-hmm. runs runs through the album, runs through this era for Prince. Yeah. All right, all right. Player, keen to get your thoughts on this classic track. Okay, I'm going to bring this back. I really love this song, and I really wish, like Captain said, he would do it live more, because not only is it a rocking song, but towards the end, it you know, really stretches out musically. It's like an oral journey. Just fantastic to listen to. Um, I like how it's broken into the three parts. You've got the first part, that's the main song itself with the lyrics. Um, the second part is that vampy bridge section. And then, you know, the last part is the guitar solo section of, you know, the father's song. Again, it's just a fantastic journey. I like how it sort of changes up all the way through. Like you said, MC, the music conveys the coldness of the computer and the relationships really well. And I agree with Tojem. The lead line to me is a bit of a variation of the turnaround in Automatic on 1999. It's it's very similar. And this is one of my favorites on this album. It's just really cool uh, go-to track if you want to really rock out. Hmm. All right, all right. With that, we come to the halfway point of the album, which is track number five. This is an infamous song for a couple of infamous reasons. That inspired an infamous album sticker. (laughs) And an infamous reporter for the Peter Black podcast, (laughs) (laughs) which we'll get to later. It is, of course, track number five, Darling Nikki. Oh, you know what this is? This is the end of side A. End of side A. How could I forget? How could I miss that? The end of side A. And I know there's at least one freaky perverted maniac on this show. I just, (laughs) (laughs) I just want to figure out which one it's going to be. Who's, who's pushing me out of the line to get to this review? Who is it? I'm kind of pushing to get out. Okay. (laughs) Jam. Not so convincingly, but go ahead and tell us your, your, uh, your reasons for wanting to review this song first. This song just is is unbelievable, really. Yeah, I, I was listening to it again tonight, and it's just like, man, the more I listen to the song, the more this is definitely my favorite song on the album. Um, wow. Yeah. Oh, it's got. Uh, uh, I don't know what to say about it. It's just, it's just amazing. Like the chord, the circular kind of chord progression is weird. You know, B major to G major to E major, like one note. You know, B fits in all three of those chords, but. Everything else is kind of discordant. I love the storytelling nature. I love Prince telling story, you know, when he's telling a story in a song. And this one's great in that it's got four verses and in each of the verse, everything's kind of subtle. You know, there's no hi-hats, there's no symbols, there's no, like the snare's an open thing. And it's like he's just sort of, uh, what's the word, like just sort of plodding along on the drums in the background, uh, telling the story. But then when it comes to the chorus, which is basically an instrumental chorus, he just smashes the cymbal, just psh, psh, psh. And it's just, I love that contrast between the two sections. So yeah, amazing storytelling. I don't want, I'm not going to get into lyrics. I'll leave that for someone else. <laughs> this is hard to review this one, but it's just so colorful. Like, uh, this, again, the sense, it's just purple rain in a nutshell. It's got, for me, it's got the entire purple rain thing in it. Uh, the, the live sound, even though I don't, I think this is a Prince solo one. If that's the case, that's amazing. I don't know if it is though. I think it um, is. I think it might be. And it's got, anyway, it's got that big warehouse sound, big synth stabs, big guitars. And I love the way it builds. At 2.20, you've got two choruses in a row, so it starts to build more. And then he starts screaming. And then there's like a little break and the guitar goes, and then, and then it just goes yeah. nuts from there. Uh, and the kick drums doing like crazy semi quavers the whole time. 
he's screaming his head off, going nuts. And the, then this guitar solo comes in at three ten, real slimy guitar solo. It's just ah, oh, it's, it's just, slimy. It's like this whole song is like in a sewer, you know. It's just <laughs> it's, it's brilliant. It's brilliant down a drain pipe. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's great with like a fluorescent light. That's the image I'm getting in a sewer with a purple fluorescent neon, light. Neon. Yeah. Yeah. It's just yeah, it's brilliant. Great it's like song. My apartment. So I mean, I'm struggling to think of the words and the images to describe the song, but it's just on headphones. I don't think you're struggling with the images. You just don't want to talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on headphones, like just crank this one up as hard as it goes, and it'll blow your mind off. <laughs> <laughs> Not just your head; it'll take the mind. And, and listen to the drums. Like for me, like listening to it today, I was just like, those drums are just—they're so raw. You know, it's just boom, 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 and then he comes to the chorus and just bang smash the cymbal just all the way through hmm. and then it's boom 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 boom, boom again yeah. cool anyway i'll leave it there <laughs> player okay this has been described by prince himself in rolling stone magazine as the coldest song he's ever written and to a degree i agree with that but also too for what it is it's a great showpiece of rock musically Lyrically, it's pretty confronting. It's an interesting story, to say the least. But musically, like Tejo said, you know, it's it goes off the chain. It starts off pretty simple with that, you know, the drum tom accents, and you know, you can hear the sticks of the of the drums, and you know, it's got these little guitar trills and bends and little riffs over Prince's vocal, which is, you know, it's mostly a cappella. It's his vocal that's carrying, you know, the medley. It's a power force of energy, especially in the coda where, you know, the synths come in and then he screams all over the guitar solo. And, you know, at the end you have the calmest with the backwards vocals. It's just, it's really interesting listen. And, you know, some days you, you wake up and you've got to put this song just as a release. You know, it's just another <laughs> stunning piece of music. You know, when you listen to the Purple Rain album, like the whole album, it, it kind of follows you know, the movie in the sense that, you, you know, you can listen to the album and sort of follow the movie so, because the music's very much set out the same way. And, like, you know, this is kind of like the lowest point or the darkest point in the movie, you know, when it gets to this part of the, the movie. And then when Doves Cry is sort of the turnaround revelation part and then, you know, you've got the other sort of... um songs that finish out the album but yeah i mean this is like the darkest part of the record and it's just it just rocks it's got that mad scientist vibe to it hasn't it It does yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's dark but it's not overly heavy i think it's it's like it's dramatic it's a film you, you always know while you're listening to it that you're listening to a piece of entertainment and not anything more than that i think would you guys agree or uh to a degree i mean like when he's doing this in the movie and Apollonia's sitting in the in the club, she's got this look on her face like, you know, what the hell is this? You know, she's <laughs> she is like she's like it is this pretty is awkward pretty actually. Yeah, yeah. So you kind of get. That. <laughs> Speaking of that, I wonder who is this if, obsessive nutcase? Like, <laughs> I wonder. You know, what would be really funny is if Prince didn't tell her anything about what she was about to see, like when they were even filming it. So maybe she didn't even know what to expect. <laughs> I would love to know if that was true or not because that would explain her expression. It could be the case that she's actually just sitting there thinking, literally, I can't believe I signed up for this. <laughs> this is some wacky shit. <laughs> it's like, this wasn't in the script. What is this guy doing? <laughs> oh, God. And then there's that part in the movie, just as another side note, where he's got his... It's so weird. He's got like his arm and hand wrapped around... Like on the other side of his head, and he just looks like a like a absolute weirdo. Anyway, if anyone knows what I'm talking about, chime in. 
Yeah, so with that, we go to Captain. <laughs> oh, jeez. This song will do it to you. This song, it's such a memorable hook. And he hasn't played this song live for a long time. But he, he'll always te- tease you with the hook. And as soon as you hear it, you know exactly what it is. There's nothing else that sounds like it. You know what it is straight away. But this, oh, this song, some of the background guitar is really cool. But the, this is the thing I noticed today. Just today, no backing vocals. Not one note. This is 100% one vocal all the way through. There's no backing vocals at all. That's pretty weird for even for, for a Prince track. There's nothing. Isn't that weird? It is. No, I never noticed it, yeah. Yeah, it is strange, but it's strange to <laughs> hear you say that. Because there is. You yeah. just assume it. It's just so dense, isn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, it's not like it's an empty song. It's so full of everything else, but you listen to it. Not one backing vocal. Not, not that I heard. It's just him. Just that main vocal all the way through, which is just weird. But you got the first great scream... Oh, it's about 2.19, and there's another one, like 2.36. Toe Jam said, you, you know, you got that, that kick drum. That insane kick drum starts at about 2.27. Mental. You know, this this is heavy metal. This is heavy metal track. That's what it is. That, that, that kick drum just, that will kill you if you got the bass up. That will literally kill you. You will die. Okay, I have a question about lyrics. Who wants to know my question about these lyrics? I, I, I probably, I probably had that same question when I was ten. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't really want. I went, I went on a, I went on a road trip with my parents to Queensland. <laughs> and, oh, too much. <laughs> and and we had we, I put Purple Rain in the tape deck, and when I got to this song, my dad ejected it like it was almost going to go out the window. It did. <laughs> it did, man. Excellent. Oh, I don't really want to ask it, but I, I need to know the answer. So I hope somebody knows. In the first verse, there is the line, I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. Now, the question is, what does that actually mean? <laughs> <laughs> to me, it can only mean one of two things. I'm not you know, touching I never, this. I never thought... <laughs> oh, I'm not touching that either. No, no, it, I'll give Certainly you the... not after where it's been. I'm going to give you the two options <laughs> and see what you think is... More likely. I, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> d- d- shut up. This is the opening of the show. I've never actually thought about this until tonight, but it's, it's hilarious. Listen, we go listen, deep here. Listen, does the- <laughs> She went deep here. <laughs> okay, this is the two meanings that I can think it could possibly be. I can't believe he's actually going to ask this. No, no, no. It's worded nicely. Okay. First, uh, first option. Does yeah. it mean she was looking at the magazine and doing whatever she was doing? <laughs> or, second option, was she physically using that magazine? <laughs> or... What about option number three? Option number three is... Both. Option, <laughs> option three is, do you think Prince intentionally left it like that so nobody would know what he actually meant? I, I've always thought about that. I don't know. It's open that, to either one, isn't it? Well, Prince, Prince can let us know anytime he wants. You know, he's welcome to contact us and let us know. <laughs> because he, oh. I mean, he hasn't played this song for a long time. Whether it's because of the context of the song or religious beliefs, whatever it is, I mean, he could always argue that she was just looking at the magazine. Well, I've got another question, and then it's fine to play that. I've song. got another question for the three of you and for the, all the hardcore Prince fans out there. Uptown and Controversy magazines weren't actually in print at that era, were they? No, <laughs> I don't think so. Okay, all right. I'm just trying to figure out what he meant. 
because <laughs> did I just get what I think you said? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so she was using an uptown magazine with his face with his face on the cover. Yeah. And then he walks in and she's like, Oh shit, the real thing, let's go. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Let's, let's go crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Unbelievable! Oh, jeez! Oh, so very interesting questions that I don't think we'll be able to answer on this show, but interesting nonetheless. <laughs> While we're on this, don't, this is the cheesiest moment on the tour because you know, in the on the album, it's like uh, she left a phone number on the stairs, mm. and then on the yeah, tour, yeah, it's yeah. like yeah. He left panties on the stairs. He holds up these panties or something. He's like, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I never, I never liked that. We know what you mean by panties. We don't need to see a picture of them. But did it? Did he mean like? Did he actually mean that there would be a phone number? Or no? I'm just, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that was probably the lyric. If you interpret it in the worst way, that was the song that you know Al Gore's lovely ex-wife, mm. wife, ex-wife, Tipper, Tipper Gore. She didn't much, like much, she, much loved in the hip hop community. <laughs> tipped her yes. she listened to that gore. She didn't really like those <laughs> lyrics for some reason. And the stupid thing, it, it spawned a sticker that when put onto albums, like, you know, they're the albums that you actually went and bought because it had that sticker on it. <laughs> yeah. It didn't dissuade you from buying it. It actually, you Encouraged. know, <laughs> to buy it. <laughs> Just uh, great, great, uh. great way to promote the album and make it sell even more copies. Look, who Good knows? job. Good job. Well done. <laughs> who knows about any of this? PMRC. That's what it is. The Parents Music Resource Center. Yes. The Explicit Lyrics Parental Advisory Warning Sticker. Gee, it's a lot of bloody long words. Oh. What, what can it just say? Filth. Why didn't she just put a sticker that said filth? You've, <laughs> <laughs> you've really um, opened up this show, that's for sure. <laughs> To all, all realms of possibility. But, um. See, Peach and Black Podcast, we ask the hard questions. We are. <laughs> uh, Someone's got to ask these questions. I, I will, <laughs> I will say just to finish off on the actual musical elements of, of the song, Darling Nikki, it's, I think it's visceralness, just like to me, the visceralness of, and the feel of computer blues, what most appeals to me. Sure, there's the lyrics and there's the shock value and there's the whole, you know, red light district type atmosphere, but I think the drums and the, like, so the pounding drums and the fierce vocals and then some really screechy, weird ass guitar effects that are happening all throughout, they just stick out, you know, like this is a song where a lot of the other songs on this album are more, I won't say glossy, but they're more, the production is more balanced. Whereas this one, it, it sounds like it was much rawer, much harsher, fiercer, and certainly filthier as Captain Cupboard. And every time you listen to it, every time I listen to it, this song just hits you over the head. Ah, <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what else to say about it either. I'm kind of like Toe Jam, a bit stuck for words. It's it's a real headphone listening experience. So. And with that, anyone else want to say anything about this? Or have we finished up track number five? If we have. I think we've touched on it. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of another reason why he possibly doesn't do this anymore. I mean, apart from the lyrical okay. content, you know, this, the screaming in this song, he's, oh, sli- yeah. he's slightly it's- older than he was when he did this. It would just trash. He couldn't do this night after night. It would trash his voice. He couldn't 
physically do it, nobody could. I'd like for him to do it as an instrumental. You know, if he doesn't believe in the lyrics, at least mm. rock it out instrumentally. But the the issue he has there is like everyone will sing along oh, that's right. <laughs> in, the, yeah. in the stadium, and yeah, almost as good as um NPG in this funky yeah. house. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the most hilarious things I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no! Don't sing that! Don't sing that! <laughs> It's this funky house, not those words that you're singing, <laughs> even though I started those words myself a few years back. <laughs> oh, that's classic. great stuff. That deserves the line, classic. <laughs> classic moments in Prince history. <laughs> Hilarious. All right, all right, all right. So five tracks into it, and that concludes side one of Purple Rain, the album, if you're listening to the vinyl version, which, of course, you would be. Um, what else would you be, what else would you be listening to it on? Cassette? Oh, you know, your million dollar sound system, which everyone should have in their house. <laughs> That's the only way to listen to Prince music, you know that? Anything else is just inferior. You'd need Purple Rain money to buy a million dollar sound system, wouldn't you? <laughs> so, um, okay, with that we go into side number two. Nobody digs his music but himself. Two A. <laughs> He's the, he's the only one that can listen to it, so <laughs> on the right system. Uh, it is, of course, track number six. And uh, the the song that uh, opens up the second side and the second half of this album, really, it is When Doves Cry, one of his biggest all-time songs from a chart position point of view, from a commercial impact point of view, from a sales point of view. What, what's, what's, it, what's it called again? I think it's called When Doves Scream. No, Doves it's scream. When... <laughs> Oh, the, the bawling birds. The, <laughs> when doves cry, uh, in brackets, bawling birds. <laughs> Extended remix. Bawling birds a, remix. It was originally called bawling birds, but, you know. <laughs> bawling uh, birds. <laughs> Albert Fagnoli tapped him on the shoulder and go, you know, we really should change those lyrics, Prince. <laughs> <laughs> I want to hear that version. There's got to be a demo of that. Oh, I wish they did a version of When Doves Scream or something like that. That would be cool to hear. <laughs> but, yeah, and look, as I said, this is a, you know, this was a massive hit for him. One of his more popular songs. I mean, even if people that aren't Prince fans would undoubtedly know, you know, Little Red Corvette, Kiss, Purple Rain, and of course, When Doves Cry. So, um, I don't know if it's his most successful. It may even be his most successful, uh, commercially successful single. I think it is. Yeah. It feels like it. Every time he brought, brought it out in the sampler set in the Australian 2012 tour, the, um, the place just went nuts. No more sampler set! No more sampler set! <laughs> <laughs> That's why they're going nuts. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, look, let's get straight into it. Play up. Uh, what are your thoughts on this track? Wow, what a song. What a creation. This song is just groundbreaking. It's a real game changer that's influenced many up-and-coming artists. I've heard that Prince worked on this song in a non-stop marathon for days, just driven to get the song right, and boy, did he get it right. The song is very stark and eerie and haunting for a pop song, but the musical and lyrical elements really bring it together. You've got the dove, which is a symbol of peace, crying, so it evokes this image of tension in relationships, so really works well. Musically, I've heard Prince used to layer instruments on a track, and then he would bring the faders down on certain instruments to give it that sparse sound, and I definitely get the impression here where the bass is notably absent. I always saw this track as futuristic, limb drums, oberheims, 
you got the guitar solo. I mean, what more could you want? It was voted number one in our greatest Prince song of all time survey. So, say oh, no more. Yeah. It's a great song cemented in Prince history. Yeah, once once you you start talking about a, a song that was first rated first, voted first as Prince's greatest ever piece of music in the greatest survey of Prince music, the Peach and Black survey, you know you're onto a good thing, right? Yeah, uh, definitely. So, uh, Captain, what do you think about this? Oh, number one hit, the bawling, uh, When Doves Cry. This was the first single from the album. I think it came out four weeks, five weeks before the album. And, oh, what do you know? Number one, this, the music is very minimalistic. You've got these dry drums and you got the snare it's just got this little echo on it and there's a guitar and there's a keyboard and that's about it player said you know there's no bass there's none at all but apparently there there is you know he re, he didn't they do a bass line but it's just not here because it either didn't work or whatever reason so he cut it out and there you go history's made maybe one day we'll hear the version with the bass just for fun just for fun Ah, uh, what else about this song? This track was sampled by MC Hammer in the song Prey. Great, great, great track there. I was actually watching that on YouTube the other night. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. It's a good use of the sample, yeah. That's why we pray. Oh, it's a good song. Good old MC Hammer. Just on that, when I was a young lad, I heard the MC Hammer's Prey, and then I heard the, the Romeo and Juliet version of When Doves Cry. Yeah. And so for me, both of those, like, that is what, what Doves Cry sounded like. So I heard those two way before I heard the actual Prince. original. Uh-huh. Yeah, so it was very odd going back to hearing, oh, this is the original that I never knew about. It's like hearing Bambi by T.C. Ellis <laughs> first <laughs> and, and then hearing the, the real one afterwards. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good comparison. <laughs> oh, what else about this song? Vocal performance, come on. Ooh, I suppose a fairly early example of his multi-tracking, harmonizing abilities all over this track. I'd like to know how many, how many, you know, separate vocal tracks are on this track. They could be six, they could be eight. I don't know. That'd just be another interesting thing to know. Uh, I like it when the, the synth chords come in about 250. It beefs it up a bit. The thing I don't like is if you ever hear this on the radio and the radio edit fades out about 335 just when that guitar comes Solid in. Comes in. Yeah. And then every time you listen to it on the radio, you never know if they're going to play. Sometimes they play the full version, but usually they don't. So you're listening to it, and as soon as that guitar comes in and it fades out, you're like, oh, wanted to hear it. But anyway, back to the song. There's got some great screams. Starts at about 4.12 until 4.30. And if you've got the headphones on and you're blasting this music into your brain, 4.28 to 4.35, you've got this breathing percussion thing which is very cool uh 452 you got some more great vocals <laughs> and i noticed for the first time at 205 there is a kiss sound did anyone else hear that i think i've heard that i never noticed it until today oh that was yeah i heard that and i'm like oh there you go the end of this song i always thought this was a weird end to a song especially such a song that was such a monster hit you know now it almost sounds like a oh, what's that thing the piano accordion it's just weird it's a weird thing i think I can just see Prince, you know, doing a little dance around the control room while he's playing his piano accordion. <laughs> <laughs> not, not wearing later hosen. It's just, I thought it was, it was a weird end. But it's a great song. It's hard to review this song. You sit down and listen to it and you know every single second of it. Well, you think you do. And then you find that there's a kiss at 205. <laughs> you know, what do you say? I was trying to think of this today. Like we did our greatest... 
print songs ever survey, and this was number one. But then I was thinking, what are the absolute most of of print songs played on the radio? It's got to be when Doves Cry, Little Red Corvette, Kiss, 1999. That's Raspberry Beret. Oh, I don't think that's as high, but it'd be close. Mm. But that, I mean, those that that'd be the main four, I think. And they're from like they're all from within like that two or three year period. Oh, Kiss. 86, yeah. But, you know, occasionally you'll hear Diamonds and Pearls and Cream, but it's always Literary Corvette, When Doves Cry. So, so sometimes you hear Let's Go Crazy. Not that much, though. Eh, that's all. All right, all right, all right. Uh, Toe Jam, what are your thoughts on this track? It's an amazing song, and it fully deserves to be the number one Prince song, at least from that overall perspective thing, I think. We're talking about the no bass thing, but what's really interesting about that is that what it adds to the song and it sort of adds an emptiness to the song which totally fits the the, the content of the lyric and the, and the tone of the song so it's not just like a, a gimmicky oh wow this song has no bass it actually it adds something to the to the meaning of the song so that is a great example of great songwriting i think i really like the intro the way it starts with this crazy guitar solo that only goes for a few seconds and then the beat comes in and then you get this weird ow 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 hmm. it's just a, a whack way to start a song and yeah. and from there it, yeah and from there it, like you know it tunes your ear in you can imagine if this came on the radio in the 80s and you go what's that song with that weird sound the keyboard keyboard hook dun 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 dun, dun. just a classic 80s hook that will perk your ear the moment you hear it the lin drum's really tight and a real sort of uh hard-hitting kick drum the vocals and it's they kind of dry very layered like captain was saying and lots of little interesting harmony parts like little bits where he adds a little harmony and i think i think my personal favorite moment in this song and i remember it's it's one of those moments you sort of remember listening back and you know i was sort of a fan but not like a massive fan and you just like you i can sort of pick like five or ten little moments that you sort of realize wow this is more than just a song um there's a little bit at 246 where he does this vocal thing uh i can't even do it but it's going to be like you know do do and adds this like full thick harmony to it and it's just this really interesting moment oh yeah yeah another bit yeah that's just like i love that stuff it's just really weird and interesting and it adds something to the song in the chorus, you've got this real low vocal as well, you know, sing. So he's got the full range of his vocal singing in those choruses, which is really cool. Uh, you've got a breakdown at 321, an awesome guitar solo at 336, which is kind of buried in the mix, which is really interesting as well. Like, I imagine if it was done today, like, that solo would be right up the front. And oh, yeah. But I kind of like the way it's, again, it's sort of buried in the background. That's all, it's all contributing to this mood. There's a great scream at 430, like Captain said, and there's a nice keyboard solo at five minutes. Uh, is that Fink or is that Prince? I think this I is think a this is a solo one man band. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's but, amazing. But, but I've heard that um, I've been reading things in this because it's the thirtieth year. There's all these articles and stuff coming out, and one of the things that I read was the solo part was recorded at like a half speed, so it was yeah. done slowly, and then the 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 track was sped up to normal. Yeah, speed, can... so it sounds like he's running faster. Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit towards the end where you can kind of hear that. Where he goes, yeah. yeah. But what I picked up today when listening to it, I, I never sort of picked up on this, but there's, there's kind of a bit of a, a Spanish element to it. Like, um, you know, the guitar at the beginning, how it's got this... And then that, that keyboard solo at the end, it's kind of like, I don't know if it's Spanish, but this sort of flamenco kind of... Oh, it's a piano bass. accordion. It's, a, it's an old Italian guy. Yeah, it's got this... It's got like a little Italian vibe or, yeah, some weird European it's vibe like to it. But it's something like what Renato would do in a solo. Yeah. 
some sort of Latin vibe to it, which is yeah. really kind of buried there, but it sort of adds, again, it adds something to the song. So this song's all about atmosphere, it's all about mood, and it's Prince using the funk to to create that. Like, so the funk is obviously the, you know, his bread and butter, but then it's the way he manipulates that bread and butter to give it a certain flavour. <laughs> As the Prince style is, it's minimalistic funk. Yeah, multi-layered and all of that. But yeah, what an amazing song. Um, it's It's brilliant, and it's perfectly placed on the album, perfectly placed in the movie. It's just amazing all the way around. So there you go. First track on side two. Yeah, um... I'll just chime in real quick on this. It's very difficult to add too much to what you guys have already said. But one thing that always struck me about this song was that I can't think of a single time that I've finished listening to this song and felt, I feel like it doesn't end in a way. Like it's just, it's not almost like it's not You're, you're unsatisfied. Yeah, like it's exactly. Like All it's not you like... need in your life is to hear the version <laughs> with the bass line and your life will be complete. That's Maybe. all you need. But the thing is, it's not like Let's Go Crazy where the song ends and I'm like, oh, wow, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Or countless other songs where after they end, I think, oh, gee, that was funky or that was epic or that was really, what a, what a great ballad. This song ends and I think in keeping with the theme of the music and the th- theme of the, of the lyrics and how Prince presents the song, I feel a bit unbalanced. Like, I'm a bit... That's nothing to do with a song, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true, Captain. I probably started. I probably st- I probably started out that way. It just happened to be when this song was on. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's a really striking example of how a piece of music can make you feel. Because I always feel unhinged during the listen and then especially post the listen. And then the other thing I'll add to that, not so much talking about the, the, the music itself, but how it makes me feel, is... I feel like I need to listen to it again because I didn't, I, either I didn't quite take it in or because there was too much to take in. I need to give it another shot or I want to listen to it again to see what else, what other little parts I can pick out. And we as Prince fans, I think have said on this show many a time that one of the great things about some of his greatest music is that you can constantly find new things. I feel like that with yeah, this well, one. There's a, there's a kiss at 205. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> But there's, I, f- I feel like that about this one, especially about this song. But the irony is that this is one of his, I guess you could say, starkest, simplest, most minimalistic tracks, which I think is, it must be just a combination of all the elements that come together to build a, a really interesting and unique piece of music. Uh, so, so that's my thoughts on that. The other thing is that you guys have really mentioned all the touchstones and all the hallmarks of this track from the beat to the execution of his vocals to the little classical bits and the guitar playing and the starkness of the production. I'll say that I've never heard him do a great version of this live. I, I don't know if anyone can think of any, but... Yeah, I agree with that. I it's like... I didn't mind the... Love Sexy The Love Sexy one. one. Yeah. But yeah, I, I can't think of a great example of a live performance, and maybe because this is such a meticulously crafted and incredibly well-produced solo studio performance, because again, this is... Sit down, folks. It's one guy <laughs> in, the, <laughs> in, in the studio creating this, this, <laughs> this piece of remarkable piece of music and if i've got my facts right <laughs> this was the last piece of music recorded for the album i think so yeah yeah i think so i'm pretty sure that's the case so what a what a, what a great you know finishing piece to put into the end of the project otherwise it would have been an eight track album imagine that so yeah brilliant all all the way around and um actually i will just finish on this the guitar playing especially towards the end of the track i always feel 
gets very little discussion among the Prince community and among people that listen and really enjoy listening to this song. Like, very rarely do I hear people chirp on about how great the guitar playing is. I think this is one of the most stunning examples of his guitar prowess in this era, at least. He's just some, he's some great lines in there. And they really suit the, the mood of the song, you know? it's Everything seems to be in a minor key, and it's a bit dreary, and then his guitar comes in. And the guitar playing sounds like it's in pain. You know, I won't go as far as to say it's a maggot brain type performance, but it's it's got elements of creating a mood that really suits the song, which I, now that I think about it, a lot of his guitar playing does. Oh, do you know what? We No one said a one single word about the lyrics. <laughs> which is interesting. I yeah. remember, I think we had a conversation about the lyrics in our, in our uh, Greatest Hits show. I vaguely remember talking about that. So go back and have a listen if you want to hear lyrics. <laughs> we don't want go to and find about. that. Go and find that twenty to one. I think I'm sure we talked about lyrics in that. I could be wrong. Well, the the obvious question that comes to mind is how autobiographical are they? Just like what everyone was saying at the time of the movie's release, how autobiographical were some of the, mm. the domestic scenes and even love scenes to Prince's own life? So I don't know. Does does, does anyone think they were? He's he's asking questions of himself. Uh, his problems, is it because I'm too much like my mother or is it because I'm too much like my father? And that kind of thinking is very self-reflective and uh, he's like he's searching for himself kind of thing. I think like a mm. lot of his songs, there's always some, you know, basis of reality. There has to be. Otherwise, he's just writing some nonsense about nothing that he knows nothing about. Those those questions that he's asking, he had to have thought about it at some point to to even put it in a song. Right, you'd have to even yeah, think about it. I think so, but but it also suits the film because the scenes in the movie relate very much to the lyrics in the song. So I wonder how much of it was an attempt to write a piece of music for the, mm. you know. Well, if this was movie. yeah, if this was written near the end, it probably was. Well, we need one last song to fit in fit in with the movie, so grab all that stuff and chuck it in a song. Yeah, I mean the the chorus itself is probably the most striking because the song starts out talking about a relationship and you know animals in curious poses as people are kissing and all that kind of stuff so it's it's got a sexual con uh, piece of content there but then it goes into all of those questions that tojan was about uh, was talking about if you took that chorus paragraph or stanza i should say out of the song and read it as a piece of let's say poetry even though it's got a few questions in there they're quite striking especially the why do we scream at each other this is what it sounds like when doves cry you know, it's very, very um, a bleak realization almost of, but but he's asking a question <laughs> the whole time. He's constantly asking questions and not giving too many answers. Um, <laughs> that's but, that's just typical Prince. But, <laughs> <laughs> not only that, but I think the greatest art asks the greatest questions. Some songs, I, I'm sure all of us have have seen other artists employ the device of you know writing lyrics as questions and it not coming off. Because often it it really doesn't. It can seem a very self-important way of trying to write a song and failing. But they come off quite well here because I think they're fairly honest. It's like John Lennon's Imagine. You know, Imagine there's no... Like, like he's asking questions Mm. in that song, you know. It's a similar sort of thing. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Because you never listen to John Lennon's... At least I don't. I don't listen to Imagine thinking, God, this guy's a wanker. Like, he's coming Mm. across pretentious. Yeah, for sure. But there are plenty of songs, and I can't think of one at the moment, but there are plenty of songs that are, that use that device of question asking, let's call it that, and um, and never really get anywhere and just and just sound a bit like they're full of themselves. But princes manage not to, maybe because they are so stark and they, they sound so personal. You know, how can you just leave me standing alone in a world so cold? 
yeah. is a very stark line. They're I mean, very, you know, descriptive, painting a picture, just like one of the lyrics in the song. Hmm. Anyway, don't cry. <laughs> Does anyone think Prince could pull off writing a track like this now? I don't think he could. <laughs> well, there's one answer. <laughs> oh, that's, my, that's my answer. I would be surprised. I would be. Uh, I think it had just come off. I think he tried. Like, the song Slave, I always felt, of Emancipation, I always felt was an attempt to recreate that Dove's Cry feel. And it, it comes close. It, that mm. Slave's a good song, too. But it's not when Dove's Cry. I just think it had, you know, where his head is at now, I just don't think, I don't think he's there. You could, I don't think he could tap that deep into the emotion again. Mm. Whether, you know, whether it's even there at all, I don't know. I think when you guys, when you asked that question, Captain, I was immediately saying to myself, oh, yeah, probably not. But then I, then I thought, and someone made the comment, I, I'd be very surprised. And then I thought to myself, you know what? I'm surprised that he wrote it in the first place. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, we've, we've heard about other songs which he wrote, recorded, and then said, nah, that's too personal, I'm not going to release it. Yeah. But this one went out, but I suppose... I mean, we don't know how personal it is. It could only be 10% based in reality. So to him, it's not that personal. But, but it may be. But, but to you, to us, not knowing how real that is to him, we can believe, well, that could be really personal to him, but it might not be at all. Yeah, or, or vice versa. It might be completely... Mm. It's got these biblical references, re- religious references. It's got his own potential feelings on, on his relationship with his mother and father in one or two very, very piercing lines. So who knows? I mean, is it just for the movie? Is it just... And it's again, it's one of those great pieces of work, really, because people keep asking questions. You know, he's asking questions in the lyrics, and we as listeners are asking questions about him asking questions in the song. <laughs> and with that, let's go into the next track, track number seven, I Would Die For You. And to open this one up, it is Captain. Oh, this was the fourth single released from the album, and... At 2 minutes 50, it's the perfect length for a single release. It's a pretty short track, but then again, there's not that much to it, so I think if it was any longer, it'd sort of drag on anyway. This is the first of these last three tracks which were recorded live at First Avenue, and they are the first time he had released any live material on an album, even though there's a fair few overdubs on there. But what can I say about this song? At 117, you've got the chicka chicka chicka. That's the best bit in the song, isn't it? That's got to be. <laughs> it he is good. He doesn't have any maracas, so he just does it himself. That's fine. But, I mean, the music, it's its really bare bones. It sounds more filled out than the bawling birds, but but there's nothing to this song, really. It's, it's just a drum machine and a synth, and then I think a guitar comes in a bit later on. But oh, there's not much to it. This is really the only track I would consider on this album it's weaker than the rest of them. Even though this song is better than most great songs by other artists, in this company, it's a weaker track than the others, I think. I mean, it's still a classic, but yeah, compared to every song on this album, this would be the, the least impressive, and I'd, I'd probably say Darling Nikki would be a close second. But uh, lyrically, it's, it's interesting, but I'm sure someone else will talk about that. That's about all I've got to say about it. Wait, what about the lyrics in this? <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I am, I am, what does he say? I am your Messiah. But now, when he does it live, he says that he's, he is the Messiah. Mm, the great, the great Messiah that? complex. <laughs> Interesting lyrics. Yeah, they've got this sort of, what did you call it? The Messiah complex? 
Well, I said that as a bit of a, uh, you know, to have a bit of a laugh about the way he sings the lyrics now. But I guess they apply to to the the lyrics in general because well, I, I think the song is supposed to be from the point of view of Jesus. It's like it's Jesus singing the song. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Listen to it again. With yeah, that completely. Perspective. That's what he's saying. I'm not a woman. I'm not a man. I'm something oh. that you, you'll never understand. What could it be? <laughs> Wow. Captain, 25 years into the... Into you the, just blew my brain out. That I'd never even thought of that. You're not... Are you being serious or are you telling me this? I'd never thought of that at <laughs> all. Yeah, he's like, you know, you're just a sinner, I'm told, you know, yeah. but I would die for you kind of thing, so... Oh, my God. I have to go and listen to that again now that I, now, <laughs> yeah. now that I song, know. Yeah, it's completely a song about the, you know, Christ the Saviour. Christ the Redeemer. I mean, I just always listened to it, and I just thought, oh, it's just another weird Prince lyric. I'm not a woman, I'm not a man. I'm like, yeah, okay. That's just well, his, that, that's just his androgynous thing that he had going on at the time, fine. He, well, yeah, I but never if, even thought about it that way. If that was it. But then he goes on to say, I'm not your lover, I'm not your friend, I'm something that you'll never comprehend. Yeah, in, because, in he's, he's, because he's a, a mystery wrapped in anima, <laughs> you know. Wrapped in bacon. That, wrapped in and bacon, he's exactly. the Messiah? And you're the reason why he's the Messiah. So, yeah, it's it's. I think it's... I'm with Toe Jam. I think it's blatant. Oh, well, I'm mm. done on I Will Die For You. Who's next? <laughs> Toe Jam, since you've All right, dropped well, the bombshell. <laughs> well, just on that point, I think people know I'm a fairly avid critic of a lot of that stuff. But having said that, I think the thing that makes Christianity, like, I don't want to say appealing, that's not the right word. But if it's got anything going for it, it's this idea of, you know, this guy sacrificed himself for you kind of thing. And it's this kind of attitude of, if everyone has this attitude of, look, we'll all die for each other, then that's kind of interesting way to look at life. If we and all die for each other, there'll be no one left. No, but, no, but <laughs> if everyone's got, but that's the whole thing, if everyone's got that attitude, no one would have to. That's, mm. you know, I don't know. And that's what I find really interesting about the song is that it's this really dark lyric, I would die for you, like, but it's the mood is like a positive mood. So it's a really mm. interesting contrast. And, 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 uh, you know, I'm a fairly avid critic of religion, as many of you know, but he captures what people see in Christianity, I think, in this song, like, if there's something going for it, he's captured it, I think, in this song. Um, just that attitude of, you know, we should all be willing to die for each other kind of thing. That sounds a bit strange. <laughs> <laughs> okay, religion aside, what about the song? Well, the music's, like, just got this real, like, <laughs> it's it's got, I've written, written the word potential here and possibility. And it's like, it's got this feeling, it's sort of like you wake up in the morning and you've got this vibe, like, yes, I'm going to accomplish something today. And there's something, it's more of a feeling of, yes, I'm going to accomplish something. And it's like the build-up before the storm. And... Which is kind of the way it works in the movie, I guess. So maybe that's kind of tainting my image of the song. It's got a real hectic background. You've got the, the Lynn hi-hats just doing semi-quavers the whole way through. Just chicka 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 chick And you've got this big kick drum and, and snare drum. And it's sort of got a, uh, an effect to it that I've written down Strange But True and New World. Which they also have the same sort of effect where you've got this semi-quaver thing going on in the background with a big kick drum and, and snare. Uh-huh. And it's also interesting, the bass line's just sort of revolving around G, F sharp, and A, uh, whereas really the song's kind of in D major, so it, n- it never really hits the D major, you know, the one. So it's always, it's got this sort of suspenseful sound where it's, it's, it's going somewhere. I love all the little, like there's a bass fall to start the song, and there's a big keyboard slide throughout it. And the keyboard line, the, the hook sort of floats over the top of all of that, as well as his vocal, which is, again, sort of this saying on one or two notes. Um, so it's similar to another song earlier in the album, which I can't remember which one it was we're talking about. Uh, but it's, it's a, you know, contrast effect where you've got a lot of stuff happening in the background, but then the vocal lines just sort of 
sitting on top of it. I think it was Let's Go Crazy. We were talking about that sort of thing. So yeah, it's a really interesting song. I really like it. Uh, it's got a great mood to it. And the lyrics are interesting, to say the least. Well, you guys are really running away with this one. Two minutes and 50 seconds, so much to, to, to talk about. One thing that I tend to find with this track is that, this is going to sound a bit idiotic, I guess, but it sounds as short as it is. It's just, it starts off with that descending bass part that Tojam refers to, and then it's over like really, really quickly for me. And I think that says two things. One, it's a short song, obviously, but two, there's not a lot to it. And I think this is one of the best examples of a song being written specifically for the soundtrack and to place it on the album in a way that it kind of, I guess, shapes the album more in line with the, with the movie. And what I mean by that is really to me, every time I hear this, this song, I don't really get into it that much. I, I just feel this is almost like the little movie bit on the album, if that makes sense to anyone at all listening. <laughs> it's like, um, this and Baby I'm a Star in particular, they go hand in hand, but we'll talk about that second song later. Yeah, I just, I don't feel it that much. I heard a great techno house version of this probably about five or six years ago, and I can't remember Space the artist. Cowboy? Oh, I think so. I think so. Yeah, Space Cowboy. Yeah. Really, really cool version of that. If you think this version is too short, you just need to go and listen to the extended version. <laughs> when Prince sends me the long. link, I happily will. <laughs> Doesn't that go for like 20 minutes or something? Uh, I think it's about... One of those real long it's, ones. It's like 11 minutes. I'm not saying I don't like this, and I'm not saying that it is too short. I'm, all I'm saying is that it's 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 like a almost like a, a representation of that part of the film. Maybe it's If been, anything, it's probably good editing, I think. it's. I, I think if there was any more of it, it might be getting a bit, oh, yeah, it's tagging on a bit. So yeah, it's probably, that's, yeah, that's what I said, because there's not much to it. If they tried if you tried to drag it out, you'd be like, oh, really? Yeah, I think you're right. There's not, there's not, there's really not that much to it. There's some electronic, it's really a, a combination of electro music and his voice on the top of it talking about how he's, or singing in the voice of Jesus as first person. Oh, that's still, that just blows <laughs> my mind. So I really enjoy the music, I have to say. To me, it's got a really cool, it's got some cool notes from a, from a compositional point of view. I find I get a similar feeling when I listen to this song to the feeling that I get hearing Little Red Corvette and the synths in Little Red Corvette and the synths in I Would Die For You, I think are obviously they're not the same, but to me they evoke a similar feeling and I like that. But aside from that, it doesn't really push my buttons uh with that let's get a player yeah i like this song it's a good pop song but it, it's a little bit cold for all i think in its sound however i think this song is very spacey and dreamlike especially the thick synth elements in the track and the reverb on his vocal the lyrics are quite thought-provoking and ultimately religious which you may not pick up on the track here on the record like Captain didn't. Yes. But um but you definitely got that in message when Prince sang it on the Purple Rain tour. Again, like the last track, I've always seen this song as futuristic in its sound and overall it's a great feel good song. I would die for you. Ooh. And with that, we are up to track number eight. It is, of course, the song Baby I'm a Star with its infamous performance in Purple Rain the movie and also on the subsequent tour. Captain, leading us off into this one. This track, Baby I'm a Star, on the CD, it's number eight. Very high energy in this track, probably the highest on the whole album, I think. I was thinking about this today. The title, the name of this song, it's Baby I'm a Star. And then you listen to some of the lyrics... Like, you know, you might not know it now, but I'm going to be, you know, superstar. One might say a bit presumptuous on Prince's part, but sometimes you just start saying these things and everyone believes it. So why not start saying it and make it happen? That's what you do. In the intro and the outro of this song, there's some reverse talking. I don't know what it is, but I'm sure somebody does. Let me know. 30 seconds in, you have the first, the classic hour 
classic Prince scream. Uh, then you got another good scream, 2.31. And then at uh, 3.06, you got another hour. Uh, there's just so many things in this song. Bass. The bass is great in this song. You have to mention the bass. It's so simple, but it's super effective work. Bass work on this track. Good job there. Bass on this song is excellent. And then you got synth. The synth work on this track by both Prince and Dr. Fink. Unbelievable. 327 to 340. Man, that's funk on a stick. That's the funkiest, you know, 13 seconds on this entire album is right there. And Dr. Fink has his shining moment in this track. 347, big classic solo from the, from the master. And live on the Purple Rain tour, this was regularly stretched out to 10, 15, 20 minutes, whatever they felt like doing. And I know Toe Jam loves those long synth notes where they just get on one note and just hold it. And they do that in this song. One's from 308 to 320. And then there's another one or two later on. That's always a good thing. Listening to this a lot in the last few days, I think this might be my favorite track on this whole album. Computer Blue and Beautiful Ones are close, but I think this one just takes the cake. I've heard this live a couple of times and, oh, jeez. High energy, energy just blow your head off. It just goes off. Uh, I don't think I can say any more about this song, except yeah, I'm going to say this is my favorite song on the album. Favorite track? Yep. Wow. Wow, that, that's, a, that's the biggest surprise on the show for me tonight. I had no idea you were going to say that. Wow. Yep, best one. So you, so you dance to this track, right, Captain? Uh, I don't dance to any track. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, this but if, but if you danced to a track, this would be the one. Oh, uh, possibly. <laughs> if, I was, uh, if I was in the right frame of mind, anything's possible. <laughs> Uh, player, what are your thoughts on this? This song nicely segues from the last track into this one, effortlessly, and it's energetic and fast-paced pop song. The lyrics are interesting, how he's got no money, which is a throwback to I Want to Be Your Lover. But now his time has come to shine like a star, which, like Purple Rain itself, is exactly what happened to Prince. So this song is quite fitting on this album. The Dr. Sphinx synth solo is off the chart and live this was the extended workout jam where it was a different version every night really showed the diversity and flexibility of the revolution and this track became a blueprint for the track america on the next album around the world in a day so really enjoyable song i would like for prince to revisit this one too and show yes 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 how the current mpg orthodox girl can stretch out okay I have to say, not one of my favorite tracks. I think this, along with oh. I Would Die For You, I think this song, along with I, for, oh. I, I Would Die For You, are no. probably two that I like the least, yeah. And oh. and I think if I add another track to that pile, it would be Take Me With You. Those three tracks, I think, are, are at the bottom of, out of the nine tracks. Now, in saying that, they are quite good. Obviously, they're on a classic album, but that itself doesn't really add too much to this song. Like, I, I think the live versions are fantastic, and this one is really a live version. So, so therefore, must a, be great. Yeah. So, so it's <laughs> it's got the feel, and no, you're right. I mean, it's got the feeling and all that kind of stuff. But I'm not a huge fan of it. Like, there's something about the title and the lyrics that although they work in the movie, don't work as well for me 
live. I, I don't know. Maybe you guys obviously so far, your player and captain obviously disagree with me, but I don't, I don't get a lot out of it. When I think of Prince Party tracks, this isn't one of them. And I think it's because of the lyrics and, and the kind of the intent of the song. But musically, it is great. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Earlier on when we did this album review, you said you weren't going to pay this song out. <laughs> And now you're paying this song out. <laughs> when, when was that? That was earlier. earlier in the review somewhere. That I wasn't going to pay this song out. Yeah. Is that right? I think so. From memory. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> sounds strange. I, I can't remember that. <laughs> that I wasn't going to pay it out. I'm not paying it out. I'm just saying I'm not a huge fan of it. Like, I don't really like it that much. I don't think of it as a song that I want to put on. It's on the album, and I guess it, it's a classic piece of music because it's on the album, but... I could think of countless other songs of this era that I, in the same sort of vein, that I like way more than this one. You know, the up-tempo, party man type jams. But look, you know, the, the minute you put on the officially released 1985 Syracuse concert, <laughs> yeah, I mean, look, 15 minutes of this, it just turns into an all-out, like, Latino jam with Sheila E on percussion and Prince doing all manner of things with his hands and feet, you know. Midgets on the stage, anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it's it's great for what it is. But as far as the album version, I don't particularly get a lot out of it. Like, when I compare this to some of the the songs that came before and then the album closer that we'll get to very shortly, it's not as impactful. Uh, Toe Jam, what are are your thoughts? I think this is a total funk down. This is awesome. Three Uh, three against one, you lose. (laughs) It's a bit, it's a little bit disco. It's got a little bit sort of you can't stop the music about it. And, uh, the, the bass is very Larry Graham just playing those octaves. Dum, 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 dum. Mm, great um, bass. But I think it's that Prince thing that he does where it's like Pretty Man and Party Man and, you know, it's this baby on a star. It's Prince playing his ego and having fun with it. Like it's, it's sort of tongue in cheek as well. Uh, I love the moment in the song where he's, you know, he says, uh, take a picture, you know, and, and every time he does it live, he has someone come along and actually take a photo. Um, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a bit of James Brown thing. You know, James Brown has these sort of gimmicky things where he puts the cape on. It's sort of Prince's thing where he, when he sings that lyric, someone comes up on stage and takes a photo of him. So. But yeah, it's just real energetic and uh, danceable. And like Captain was saying, the synths are just off the chain. At I've got 328. I think that's when it has that big Minneapolis synth break out. That That's wicked, that bit. How can you not like that, MC? Disappointing. <laughs> Um, 13 seconds on this entire album start i actually down. forgot while i was doing my 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 thoughts i forgot about that one bit and you're right that is darn funky and i like the way uh in the first chorus mainly you know he could have just said oh baby i'm a star but it's oh baby i'm a star you know it sort of creeps in so, um it's, it's, really it's cool. almost vaudeville vaudevillian <laughs> yeah yeah uh, ooh, it's cool because he could just smash that but he sort of sweetens it up i can imagine when they filmed the scene in the batman movie where they have the the 200 balloon scene all the big balloons and uh, apparently yeah. they use baby on a star for that scene and you can imagine jack nicholson being the joker he's up there he's being the star kind of thing and you can you can really imagine them getting into this song when they were doing that the dr fink solo is amazing like player was saying Right at the end of the song, when you've got the backwards vocal coming in again, there's some crazy synth line stuff going on in the back there, and it's going back and forth from the left and right speaker. That's awesome, that part. It's just going... It's just awesome. Crazy background vocals all the way through. It's good to have a real dancey song on this one, because on this album, because there's not that many of them. And people often complain, a lot of Prince fans complain about the way he does these live songs with overdubs, but I mean, this one I think is the perfect mix. It's It's got a real live feel to it, but it's got a really layered studio sound as well, so it's the perfect mix of those two worlds. Uh, so I, I think this is a great song. 
Um, and I love seeing it live. The live versions, uh, like this is a good representation of what you see at a show, I think. Oh, you're starting to convert me, Jam. All I have to do is listen to you talk about something for two minutes and there we go. <laughs> but I'm not quite there. I still kind of not. I don't, I don't know. The, I don't... You know, the intro, it's got this big chord thing going, like the big uh, sort of turnaround chord bit. And then there's this big, ow, oh, ah, boom, dum, 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 ow, oh, rinse it. <laughs> <laughs> And also, I can one see of my jamming bit. to this in his car. I'm pretty sure. Just a little cool effect. Once the sort of groove starts and it's got the synth hook going down, it's got this. I don't know what it is. Just some weird sound effect, but it sort of answers the the synth keyboard. So this goes barrel, boom, dun 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 dun, boom. Just this yeah. weird sound. I think it's in the right speaker. So just little bits like that. Are cool. I'm going to listen to this again. Wow, we're almost there, gentlemen. Finishing oh. up our thoughts on track number eight. Ah, one more thing. One oh. thing. <laughs> he's, he's got these, you know, he's got these gaps. So the little tiny breakdown just before he sings, Doctor! You know, and there's another one where he does the gap and there's just, uh, and he just sort of falls into it like he doesn't know what to do. Sort of does a similar thing in, in Dance On. Yeah, it's like, oh, what's he going to do? Oh, oh, too late. Moved, moved on. You know. It's also. just too quick. The pace of this song is yeah. too quick. He faints uh, in that moment. <laughs> Sort of sounds like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got to wonder when he wrote this song, which presumably was, well, very obviously was before the movie release, at, at least, and the album release. That is the dumbest thing I've ever said on this show, by the way, now that I think about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, but if if he was consciously thinking, this might be a huge album and a huge movie, that's why I'm putting all this effort into it. I'll put in a song that, that alludes to the fact that I'm about to become a big star. I wonder whether that was on his mind. And if it was, it's a very cheeky way of writing a song about it just before it happens. Because, you know, in the film, by the time you hear the first few notes of this track, he literally has just been made into a star on that stage, that tiny little stage in First Avenue. So that's another little interesting thing I'll add. But with that... Sorry, can we we go back? I just got one more thing to add. (laughs) (laughs) Your your review of Baby I'm a Star is very similar to the how the musical the musical ebb and flow of that song. It just keeps coming back. Well, you started talking about the movie, and it suddenly reminded me. How cool is that? My favorite Prince dance move of all time is in the movie where he does the like, you know, swings his legs around. Then he does like a backward somersault into the splits. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that is cool. And every time I see it, I'm just like. You know, as someone who's, for me, fairly tall and very inflexible, when I see that, I'm just like, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I would break my back doing that. So. <laughs> oh, gosh. We have almost arrived at our final destination, and that is track number nine. I don't know if we can do this. It's Purple Rain. We better do this. Our whole our whole life has been building up to this moment. <laughs> <laughs> It's quite remarkable, Captain. This feels like it, doesn't it, guys? It, this feels a bit strange that we're about to talk about this particular song, the closing song on the album Purple Rain, entitled, of course, Purple Rain. Wow, where do we start? What do you well, say about a song like this? This is quite a pivotal moment for us on the show, not only talking about the last song, one of the most iconic songs in Prince's discography. Can I say the song that he's best known for? Would that be... Would that be close? Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I mean, you know, anywhere from karaoke to reality TV to American, Australian, UK Idol, The Voice, Purple Rain, the movie, cover, you know, other artists covering this song, his iconic live performances, the whole myth behind the track, what it might mean, 
the song's placement in the movie and what it means to the film. And then there is the fact that when this song came out, it blew up, became a huge hit for him, and really catapulted him into stardom, as obviously the, the film and the soundtrack did. But this one really, amongst rock fans in particular, um, because of that blistering guitar solo, and in fact the entire performance on the guitar i think establishes prince as a guitar hero because that solo at the end of let's go crazy was just garbage Um, (laughs) and to open up their review so let's go right into our uh, panel discussion of the song purple rain and to open it up toe jam oh uh it's a epic epic prince song lots of reverb almost angelic Simple chords, but really interesting harmony parts in all the instrumental parts, uh, with the, with Wendy playing the guitar and there's nice piano chord work going in there as well. And there's great tension in the vocal where he hits that big flat seven. Oh, one or two, see, you know, real tense moment. And then it releases with the purple rain. So big swells and tension and release. Uh, lots of strings in the song as well. Overdubbed, obviously, but they add a lot to the song, I think, especially at the end. Um, that big sort of minute or two section at the end, the strings really add a lot to that. And he kind of uses that today still when he, he often plays the song live and finishes with, and then puts that sample on with those strings. So it's a nice way to keep the crowd revving. There's a few, I've got maybe three or four moments in the song that I've just written climax central, like uh, just big climat- climatic moments. I've got 201, which is the first big massive chorus. Um, because I think the first chorus is just sung by him on his own. And then this one is like a big overlayed vocal chorus. Um, and then at 3.12, it's an even bigger one with even more vocals and higher vocals. And you've got those breakdown bits where he starts singing, I know, I know, I know, you know, real classic sort of, I don't say, not preacher, but, you know, the classic storytelling moment in a song like this. It's kind of muddy. Like the recording's kind of muddy. There's there's almost too much going on, but I think that kind of adds to the sort of uh, rivery, washy sound to it all. 3.47, you've got the classic solo, um, which is actually kind of low in the mix. If anything, that could probably come up a bit, I reckon. And there's a big sustain note. Once that guitar solo kicks in, there's a sustain note that just holds all the way through. And the solo itself has a few climactic moments. I've got here, there's one bit where he holds the note C and he just holds it for ages. That's a really nice moment. At at 5.12, you've got the big massive turnaround come in for the first time. The big dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun-dun. And then after that, it comes in with those big, massive falsetto vocals, which I've written again. Sounds like angels singing that descending line. Uh, I'm not even going to try it because I can't hit those notes up the top there. Uh, but I'm sure you guys know the bit I'm talking about. There's like, like I said, there's three or four big, massive climactic moments in there. And I keep using this analogy. Whenever I hear it, I hear like rivers and, and streams. And you really hear that at the end where it, where it finally stops, does the big stop on the four chord and then releases on the one. And you get all the piano runs doing all these big, pentatonic runs and then it all sort of slows down and it's almost like a waterfall just crashing down and then slowly settling down it's just really vivid and very image produces image in your brain while you're listening to it especially on headphones yeah it's just a big epic classic rock song and it deserves all the praise it can get i think having said that the the lyrics are kind of strange like they're not really specific which is kind of good in a way because it, it lets you fill in your own blanks and you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean so it's more about a mood than actual specific meaning behind the song i think but i'll let you guys see what you think about that all right <laughs> player this is the ultimate lighters in the air stadium rock anthem this is the only song without fail by any artist that makes the hair on the back of my neck stand on end every time when i listen to the song like MCS said previously, the opening guitar strums are timeless, all those sort of suspended chords. 
it starts out pretty low key, but it gradually builds and builds right up until the guitar solo, which is orgasmic in itself. Um, really powerful and emotional song. Lyrically, I've got the same in my notes as what Tojim just said. It is what you make of it, which is great. It, it enables the audience to really connect with the song in their own way. And after the climactic solo, you have the beautiful and haunting orchestra coda with the tinkling piano. It's just a great way to close a song and the whole album. All right. Yeah, it's hard to disagree with either player or, or toe jam, uh, and unless Captain says something absolutely maniacal, <laughs> I think we'll all be we'll all be in agreement that this is one of his greatest songs and always awe inspiring. Even though he plays it, I, 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 I won't say at every show, but you know, on every tour, it the makes majority. an appearance. Yeah, it's certainly a regular staple in the set list. And for me, I've got great memories of listening to this song. And the first time I heard it wasn't even on the Purple Rain album. And this is showing you when I became a fan, I guess. But I first heard it on the Hits 2. I think it was on the Hits 2. The last track on Hits 2. From memory, anyway. And and, uh, it just left an incredibly powerful feeling with me that it has remained ever since and you know when he when he performs this song live even though the album version is heavily derivative from a live show in that it, it uses the the recording from i think the uh, august 1983 show and cleans it up and maybe adds a little you know a few little overdubs here or there it's essentially a live performance but he's played this song live so often the, the live versions of this track really uh, evoke incredible emotion when they're done well. And he almost always performs this song well, I've noticed as well. So it must mean a lot to him. So he played this in 1983, you know, in First Avenue, and then he ended up playing it in a small club again in 2003 in Sydney at the basement, and and equally as powerful, equally as iconic, and I'm sure he'll be playing it forever. I think that the key aspect of the song is the i'll say perfectly structured songwriting in that the verses pull you in and the chorus really keep you there and improve on just keeping the listener absolutely engaged in the emotion of what prince is putting across in he sings the lines the lines themselves and you know you can argue about whether they're about the apocalypse or the ever after or a combination of both or maybe something entirely different depending on your perspective but whatever he's singing about has this tremendous sense of importance and worth and value and in a way it's almost like a prophetic song (laughs) certainly some of the live versions attest to that incredibly powerful his guitar playing on this is remarkable so many great versions which i want to get to in a second but at eight minutes it's a song that i think you never grow tired as well uh which is saying something for the um the impact and again i keep saying it's one of the difficult one of the most difficult songs to talk about because it's so visceral it's just difficult to about (laughs) to have a dialogue about it it's much more than that because i'm struggling to put words the emotional impact that this song has had on me let's take it away to captain to close off round up this review of purple rain the song three months after the album's release this song purple rain was released as the album's third single in the usa this almost got top spot but it got to number two 
couldn't get number one because obviously somebody else had it. Do we know what that song was? Or? No. Otherwise, I would have no. said it. <laughs> <laughs> Probably Bruce. Could have been Bruce or Madonna. Who knows? Huey Lewis. Huey Lewis. <laughs> this song, it's... MC was worried I might say something maniacal, but I'll just say something weird. This is a weird song, I think. Some days I think it's, you know, it's a great, epic, classic Prince track. And, and other times I'll get really analytical and I'm just like, yeah, it's just four chords. It's just a song. It's just a song. I'm talking There about- you have it. Purple Rain <laughs> is just a song. <laughs> and then I think, no, it's not. It's not. It's more than that. It's, it's more than the, you know, the sum of its parts or whatever they say. But, you know, musically, it's all about those, the suspended chords and, and the strings. I think without the strings, this would be a very different track. Yeah, I think it'd be interesting without the strings. Maybe one day we'll hear that on a remastered version. Oh, the the vocals, yeah, you've got the perfect amount of reverb on the vocals. And ToeJam said before, you know, I like how each chorus, you know, the first chorus, it's just him. And then every time it gets to the next one, that he adds another uh, another harmony. And then by the last one, there's, there's a whole bunch and it's just going off. It's good stuff. But every time I've seen it live, yes, I got a tear in my eye. I can admit that. But I don't know if that's the song. If it's the song itself or it's, you know, 20,000 people screaming the woo-woo-woos right at me, I don't know which one it is. But uh, I read somewhere that each verse of Purple Rain is about a relationship in his life. One is about his father, one's about the ex-girlfriend, and the other one about the bandmates. And I'd never even thought of that before, but that's no surprise to anyone that I didn't think about, understand the lyrics to a song. But it makes sense when you listen to it that way. I like when the electric guitar first kicks in. I think it's about 150 and it just adds, you know, another layer to what's, what's already there. But you think about this song. Don't look at the, the track time with eight minutes, 45 seconds. This song is three minutes, 45 seconds. And then it's just a massive outro. That's what this song is with it, including a huge guitar solo, obviously. But the classic guitar solo, you've got that classic. I'm going to keep saying classic. You've got that classic guitar, the little rundown at 438. It's always good live. And then we come to the part which I think just makes the song. Toe Jam said it as well at the 5.16. And he starts doing the big falsetto, the woo-woo-woo. And it's great. And I cannot imagine this song without it. Has he even played this song without doing that part? It just, it'd be weird. It'd be weird if that didn't happen. Because that's that's a big part of the song. That's the big sing-along that everybody does. It would definitely be less of a song without the woo-woo-woo, I think. If he, when he was planning this track and writing it, he was thinking, oh, do I leave that in? Do I, do I put it in or not? I think he made the right choice by leaving it in there, because that, that just makes the song. That was the right decision. So this song, uh, it's not just a song. It's the absolute classic. Probably he's most well known for this song by most people, I think. But yeah, day to day, it's different. Some days I think, uh, whatever. And other days I'm like, oh, it's the best song. I remember when I, when I used to go to these Prince meetups in London, and I remember talking to a guy who was a bit older. He was probably like 30, and he's probably our age, like back then. And I remember even talk, we were talking about this song, and he said it's one of those songs that, like, you know, you can listen to it every now and then, and, and it won't hit you. But every now and then, it will just hit you between the between the heart and the eyes, and you'll realize what an amazing song it is. And I, I think I've always mm-hmm. felt that's that's kind of true. Like, you can listen to it and go, "No, oh, 
Oh, yeah, it's so well known. It's Purple Rain. Oh, yeah, here we go again. Here goes. Um, that's four chords again. Yeah, but occasionally, like, in the right setting, in the right mood, it can, you know, it has the, the ability to take you to another place. Yeah. You get you get a tear in the eye. No, no, no. Don't play the solo with Whammy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> don't take me back to Japan 2002. Please don't. Oh, the introduction of the Whammy Bar I will never forget. October 2002. You love it. I do not. <laughs> I remember that day very well. So that's all I've got to say about the sometimes great, sometimes meh, Purple Rain. Wow. <laughs> you know, you think of Purple Rain and you also think of that image of just the camera, like, you know, with Prince's from his, what, like his torso up with the white cloud and the purple oh, lights behind the him. White cloud. And it's like, that image is just like, it's an iconic rock image. You and, know, the big, Prince the big, playing. and the big coat. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because most of the film clip is and in the movie, it's just hit that one yeah, camera on him in sure, the center, yeah. and it's just an iconic rock image. I think. Is that it? Are we really done? I think we may be, but going to say before we finish up on on this on this track, I have to. I mean, this is the, if there's if there's one song that we're going to ask this question about, it's got to be this. And I'm going to ask all of you guys, put you on the spot here, especially when I haven't made my my own choice yet. <laughs> But what is your all-time favorite live performance or favorite live version of Purple Rain, the song? I, I, I kind of like the Milan 2010. It's been a while since I watched it, but... That was, just to be clear, it was on YouTube for a number of weeks or days. Or, yeah. that, that is a pretty amazing version. And I think I like everyone else. It, suddenly people started talking, oh, you've got to watch this version. You've got to, I'm just like, oh, really? I've seen enough Purple Rain. I think I'm not going to be surprised. And I watched it. And I'm like, wow, that, that was... Potentially the best version of Purple Rain I'd ever seen. Oh, uh, but, you're not, but obviously you're not, you're not still saying that because you've come to your... Well, I haven't seen it for a while, so um, <laughs> I don't know. Like It's the first one that came to mind when you said it. But even without that, you know, the face, <laughs> which is disturbing to be honest, the face, um, <laughs> it is top fret and he is bending the crap out of it. So it's got to be good, no matter visual so what, or what, no visual. <laughs> what do you mean by that, Captain? Cause what do I mean by that? Okay, he's playing... The Purple Rain solo, which is in B-flat, am I right? And in that solo, occasionally, like one out of 20 times, he's really into it and he just goes further up the fretboard to the absolute highest note you can play on the guitar and then he bends it up another another half a note, another another full note even and just, if MC has no idea if I'm even talking about... No, I do. (laughs) Luckily enough, I do, yeah. As someone who can play a guitar, there's something about that that just makes it good. I don't know why. <laughs> there is something about... You know, it's like pushing something to the absolute limit before, like, just exploding. Like, if he pushed it any further, you'd break the string. Mm. But it's there's just something about playing a top fret on a guitar that just blows my head off every time. And I, I can't explain it. I don't know why. That's just how it is. I don't know if I'm the only person who thinks that. So that's why... Because I've seen, like, non-musical people... Like, see someone, you know, top fret of a guitar and just going off, and they're just like, oh, he's playing a guitar. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's the best freaking thing I've ever seen. <laughs> it's top fret. It's top fret. Come um, on. Top fret. You've coined a new term. Top fret solo. Well, we, 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 um, we coined Whammy Bar in like the first or second show. We've got to get top fret in the last show. <laughs> it's top fret. Come on. It's a top, top shelf, top fret. Top this shelf, top fret. <laughs> Toe jam. Do you know what I'm talking about? Because you can have bottom shelf, yeah. top, bottom shelf, top fret isn't as good as top shelf, top fret. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> There's just something about Top Frat, and you know the visual helps, but you don't need it because you know what it is. I think it's like one of those it's solos. Incredible. Like it, people, like if someone says, "Oh, what, what's a live performance that, that comes to mind?" And like that one comes to mind, and Empty Room Montro comes to mind. Like mm. there's a few, you know, guitar solo moments in his live stuff that stand out and that's one of them so. it's in, it's incredible to me that you know, after asking or posing the question to you guys and, and players this choice but so far Captain and Toe Jam have both said oh, well, uh, you know, maybe maybe not their, their number one choice but certainly have talked at length about this performance of Purple Rain during t- 2010 tour in Milan and again without harping on too long about that performance I watched it because everyone was giving it incredible praise and certainly, I mean, it's a, it's, it is a great performance, but I, I've rewatched that performance since, um, and a number of times. And I, I think that if you take away the visual element and with what he's doing, what he's really delivered, um, from a visual point of view, it, it's, it's good, but I don't know that I'd be putting it up there as, as the best or, or one of the best performances of that song. I just think there's so many other ones. Well, go on then. Which one? Which one? Uh, Show us your cards. Um, I would say Love Sexy 1988 yep. Dortmund Show. Yep. If you're going to talk oh, about... What? If you're going to talk about pure emotion, I think yeah. Love Sexy 88 wipes the floor with Milan 2010. I agree with that. Oh, I haven't seen that in a while. Maybe you guys haven't... Maybe you guys haven't seen that in a while. I haven't seen <laughs> it in a while, <laughs> but I don't have a like a strong memory of it either. And if it was that good, I probably would. I would also say, without a doubt, the Nude Tour Japan 1990 version. Which was on television, cool. which is how we saw it, obviously. Yeah, yeah we were living in Japan <laughs> at the time. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I grew up in Tokyo. What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> I, I would certainly say that almost any performance of the song from the Purple Rain Tour in 1985, although the intros got incredibly lengthy. And the outros. <laughs> yeah, well, but but, the, but even the outro from the Syracuse show is, is just just majestic. I mean, he just keeps bending those strings for about eight minutes after the song's practically done. So it, it's incredible for that from that point of view. I think one of the longest us that I that I've heard about is I think it was about twenty five minutes, like from start to finish. That's that's wow. long. <laughs> Even the one we went to in Sydney, the first Sydney show, that was well, that was about twenty five minutes. Yeah, that's right. It was, yeah, yeah, it was. He almost broke his own record. Yeah. Well, see, he kept us waiting that long. He thought he'd give us the extra long version, so that's fair it's enough. Alright, it's alright. We were we were sending messages to Damaris from my phone, remember? <laughs> <laughs> Can you hurry it up already? Yeah. Shout out to Dam, Iris Lewis. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's there's so many. There's so many uh performances. So play up. You haven't um I don't think you mentioned too much yet, so what are your thoughts on this? There's two that stand up for me. I was going to say Love Sexy 88 too. And the other one was um, Diamonds and Pearls tour. He would do Purple Rain with this extended solo at the actual start. The intro. Even, yes. Yeah, the intro. Yeah. Yeah, and it was really like spine chilling before he even actually got to the song and it was just like wow this is really cool so i mean i went to those concerts but yeah those those two that are the standouts for me i have to say that the rave 99 version on the official releases was actually quite massive and he started with the with a solo intro with the guitar solo intro as well it's been a while since i watched that yeah it has <laughs> even musicology musicology tour Mm, I'd say cool. he put, he he really brought out some good versions then. I think he had the cymbal guitar for 
Uh, you still yeah, using the right. symbol guitar for that that one, yeah. right? Even on that one that was the you know shot in cinemas. Yeah, the oh, first night. Because yeah. because we were there in America in the cinema. Yeah. Well, I was at the time, <laughs> but anyway. Now the two musicology shows I went to, Purple Rain was unbelievable. I mean, I don't think there was anything that outstanding about the performance, but in an arena full of Americans, as soon as that song started, you know, <laughs> I was instantly deaf. Just the sound of twenty thousand, however many people were in this in these arenas, yeah. just all screaming at the top of their lungs. That was more, you know, that blew me away. I think more than the song did, and especially hmm. when it got to the end and everyone singing a woo woo woo. <laughs> Holy moly! That was that's that's when That'll you're gonna count. start crying. That's that was just crazy. I'm just thinking you're talking about one of the you know the, the impact you know it's just mm. epic epic song. But I'm just thinking of another version of this song. It's more the atmosphere than the actual yeah, yeah. song itself. But I just it, for some reason this popped into my head the the cockiest version of Purple Rain that he's ever played. I think is probably Arsenio '91 because it basically cuts straight into the chorus virtually. And then starts the guitar solo and then spins around like Barishnikov on ice for, <laughs> for about 15 seconds there playing the upper fret, I think, Captain. Top fret. It's top fret. Sorry, top fret. <laughs> it's like Topic by Cadbury. Um, <laughs> top fret by Prince. Um, so that, that's a, that's, that Arsenio 91 is so cocky. He does some weird stuff towards the end of that track. Like he's really <laughs> comfortable in his own skin in that one. He's wearing this, you know, regal purple suit and i just remember that one as well yeah then, and then i think probably my favorite live version that i've experienced it would be basement 2003 i think that was even now spine chilling and he played that didn't he play that because he didn't play it at the main show or something yeah he didn't play it at the at the main concert that night and played it at the well, after show instead he, in he front just, of 400 people what he just forgot to play it <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i don't know it's not, it's not usually something he leaves out of the set list that's that is true but and so i don't know why but he did play that night and it was and it's a very rare magical. thing to get purple rain at an after show yeah in front of like i said 400 people in the central <laughs> sydney uh, business district so that that was remarkable he start he actually started that out on piano he played the first few chords on piano and then sang it and then someone ended up handing him a, a guitar which was a very good idea <laughs> <laughs> at that point so yeah with that unless people have got some more favorite memories of purple rain live i don't but do you want to go through the um rankings yes of purple rain okay i was yeah. gonna ask you about that okay so for our Greatest Prince Songs of All Time survey. This is the rankings of the songs of Purple Rain. Number one was When Doves Cry that came in first. Number one. Number two was Purple Rain. A third was The Beautiful Ones that came in at fifth. Let's Go Crazy was 16. Darling Nikki was 27. I Would Dove For You was 28. Computer Blue was 35. Take Me With You was 64, and Baby I'm a Star was 76. I think this is the only album where every single track features in the top 100 songs. Ooh. <laughs> that's, that's pretty crazy, isn't Baby it? Baby I'm a Star, 76? Oh. I told you, Toe Jam, I told you. Bless for me. Bless what, for me. What's going on? That's my, so that's, that's my favourite song on the album, and it's, it was voted last track on this album. Well, there you have it. Oh. So it's pretty interesting, eye-opening, and it just shows you how impactful this 
album was and the tracks that were on it. What can we possibly say about this album and about the songs within it that we haven't said already? I mean, it's a masterpiece, a masterstroke, an absolute work of genius, a high watermark of Prince's career and of pop culture, of popular music. Some of these recordings feature in the Smithsonian. They've influenced countless of generations of artists and fans globally. And in fact, maybe I should stop right there and ask you guys what, what you think about it. You know, how do you, how do you sum up an album like this and what does it mean to you? I have a bunch of random things to say, but first must be this one. I think I had the most fun reviewing this album more than any, I think any other album, especially Baby I'm a Star, because it's great. I mean, blasting that in the headphones, that will just blow your head off. And it was very fun. So that's that. And I have a question. Was this the first album he worked with uh, Susan Rogers on? No. Uh, I don't know. Maybe. I think it was. Not the whole album, but I think she was there. I think yeah. she started like recording the live stuff it's one of the or first, something like yeah. that. So yeah, that, that, that was a good little relationship that started there. But he, he, the last thing I have to say is one thing that's always slightly annoyed me about this album is the fact that I know that every single track on this album is an edit or an alternate version. That annoys me. Let's Go Crazy is an edit because we, we, we know there's an extended version. I have heard Take Me With You is an alternate version, so there's another version of that. The Beautiful Ones is edited down from a longer version. Computer Blue is a massive edit down from like yeah. 13, 14 minutes or something. Down to, what is it, four? Darling Nikki is an edit. There's something missing out of that, I think. Uh, when Doves Cry is really the only one you could argue is not, but then... Then I say, what about the version with the bass? Alternate version. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) I Would Die For You is an edit and overdub of the live version, but I think a studio version does actually exist, which would be the version on the... the extended version on the 12-inch vinyl, which I think even that is an edit of like a 30-minute version. And we get 250. Baby I'm a Star, that's an edit of the live version as well. But I think Baby I'm a Star also has a studio version, as I think I Would Die For You possibly has a studio version, but it wasn't released. And Purple Rain's got all the overdubs. That's an edit. There's a whole verse missing. Yeah. Off the out. live version. But that's, that's justified, because he was, you know, talking about money in that verse and stuff. It doesn't fit the song at all. I don't think, yeah, there's no, there's no known studio version of Purple Rain. Mm. But it's not unrealistic that he, at some point, made some sort of guide track at home just to get everything down. So there possibly could be a demo version of Purple Rain. But yeah, every song's an edit or an alternate version, which just shows you, I suppose, he tried very hard to make this album what he thought was, you know, the best the best version it could be by doing all that. Or even more concise. Mm. I mean, yeah, edits can be a good thing, but, you know, when it comes to Prince, we always want... I want the full thing. I want I want the full thing. It's just fading out when the guitar solo comes in. Whoa, 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 what, what, what? We have to look at the uh, the commercial question too, and, and you know whether obviously the movie, if it was a big project, being the movie, then is it worth putting out a double album, or is it better to put a, a mm. single album out? Like so, that would have been part of it as well. So. Yeah, uh, but that's all I've got to say about this album. Uh, it's a classic, and I didn't think about rating it at all until right now, but. I think the highest score I've ever given is like an 8.8 or something like that. I don't think I've... I might have given a 9 once, but I'm going to give this a 9 because it's good. (laughs) Next. So does that mean it's your favourite album? Ooh. Again, like Purple Rain, the song, it it comes and goes. 
Yeah. Like, before, you know, the last couple of weeks, I hadn't listened to this album all the way through for probably a couple of years. But now I've listened to it probably at least 20 times in the last few weeks. And it's great. And right now, I really like it. But, you know, another two months from now, it's probably totally gone off my radar and I'll be on... I'll be on Crayon Pop or something, so who knows? <laughs> <laughs> what a leap from one thing to that. <laughs> well, I've been listening to the new Mike Oldfield album. Even MC knows about that one. Man on the Rocks. Yeah, no, it's a good album. And that whoever the vocalist is, he's a nutcase. He's just nuts. <laughs> great vocals. Okay. Yeah, Player Toe Jam, any final thoughts on this album? It's an interesting album because it's the first live-ish album with The Revolution and it's got every track whether it's Prince Solo or whether it's the band it's got that warehouse sort of sound to it if anything I've always found the whole album a little bit muddy and I think that's probably the thing that that holds me back from really putting it in my top tier Prince albums it's just I think the warehouse idea it's a really good idea and it does give the album a unique sound but at the same time it, i've always felt it sort of sounds a bit muddy throughout it the the, the album as a whole you hear that so, susan muddy susan it's muddy but i think it was it was an it was it's an attempt to capture that sort of live feel and in some sense it, it's achieved that but at the same time you sacrifice you're sacrificing something quality, yeah. yeah exactly yeah i've always sort of felt that about it but i mean every song is is a classic print song there's none that i don't love in some way and it's Prince at his most dramatic, you know, he's really pushing his vocals, and he's, he's but he's still a bit unpolished, um, and it's very raw. It's a great transition from 1999 through to the more experimental Around the World in a Day. It's a great album, and it's a great movie, and the whole project was just, you know, it was perfect for the time, and I'm probably going to give it a, I think I gave, I gave Love Sexy a 10. I can't give Purple Rain a 10. I'll probably give it a 9. So for me, it's like, it's probably my fourth, fifth, favorite album it's really hard it's like captain said it, it comes and goes it, like the song purple rain it comes and goes so I'll, I'll give it a nine it is it's an amazing prince album and even though it may not be my personally favorite album i can, I can totally understand why it's got the accolade it has wow nine out of ten one point for each track on the release <laughs> yeah your that's your classic that's my scoring classic scoring chart yeah batman <laughs> <laughs> no, no 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 player what are your thoughts uh, overall, this is a strong, groundbreaking album. All of the songs are top of the crop in quality, even in sound production and engineering. I agree with Tojem with the warehouse thing, but I don't really get that until the next album and Parade. I think it's really obvious on those two. This one, I think with the remastering, they wouldn't be able to do a lot with it because it sounds pretty damn good, actually. There's no filler or segues on this album. It's just all killer. That stands up even after 30 years. And I'm with Toe I would put this in my top five Prince albums. I would give it 9.8 out of 10. Oh. I wouldn't give it 10 because of things like edits and it's not really a complete soundtrack per se without um, the time tracks and Apollonia tracks. So, um, Modern and there's, yeah, and there's and all that. But there's, you know, there's other albums that I connect to a bit more deeply like Love Sexy that that's why I give that sort of album a 10. So I just have to give this a little bit off the 10. All in all, it's just a masterpiece of an album. It's a great, great piece of work. All right, all right. I'm not going to be able to score this because I haven't been scoring for some time now, but I'll round it up by saying that it has reinvigorated my want to listen to this. I haven't really listened to it in full for quite a while. And then we, we uh, you know, obviously it's been 30 years and we're doing this review, but 
I think it proudly sits alongside all of the other classic albums by all of the other artists that I love. And for good reason, it's one of those things that you can put in, it's kind of like McDonald's. You know, like you, you know, every time you need a hit, you might not have it every day, but every time you need a hit of that good stuff that you know is going to be absolutely perfect and the same every single time, it's going to give you that same feeling, that same sensation. I can't believe I just compared Purple Rain, the album, to McDonald's <laughs> Corporation. Need another uh, hit. I could I could think of several things, not McDonald's, that you could need a hit from. <laughs> this is a family show. So yeah, it's it's like that. It's like that that thing that you can always reach out and touch and say, you know, this is this meant a lot to me. This is a a hallmark album by my favorite all-time artist. And I think that's it. You know, it's his moment of glory and some of the most vivid, exciting and energetic and in the case of Purple Rain, the song, powerful music that he's ever put to wax. How could you not love it? This was the album and the movie and all the singles and then the, you know, the VHS release, and then now DVD releases, and possibly remastered releases that made him some Purple Rain money. <laughs> what a great conclusion. <laughs> this is where it all came from. And took all of ours. <laughs> this, is the, this is the money that built Paisley Park. That's true, yeah. This is where it came from. But he, yeah. he, he only recognises it when he wants to. There's yeah. times where he's kind of like, he kind of pushes back on it and says, oh, you know, I don't like looking back or I don't like, you know, he doesn't recognise anniversaries or, or particular albums or whatever. Yeah, sure. I don't like looking back, but I don't mind looking into my bank. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's kind of weird because sometimes he will recognise it and, you know, praise it for what it is and other times he'll distance himself from it, which is kind of weird. But Let me tell you a little story about... <laughs> this was only about a week after the May 2012 concerts in Australia. And I went to the post office and I was sending a tour booked overseas to somebody who wanted one. Who wrote the tour book? Somebody. Some some <laughs> bunch of guys. Anyway, continue, sorry. Talented, talented guys. And Did you, you know, sign it, Captain? <laughs> <laughs> goes down in value we we do these things out of the goodness of our heart not for any like sort of monetary compensation because you know that didn't happen <laughs> <laughs> I was sending the tour book overseas and the woman at the post office I hadn't actually put it in the envelope yet because I didn't have the envelope I bought the envelope at the post office and she saw the thing and she says oh did you go to the Prince concert and I said yes and she said was it good and I said yes it was great and she said oh yeah my sister she went and saw it but she was really disappointed because her favourite album is Purple Rain and, and she said that he didn't play any songs from Purple Rain and I thought about it for about 10 seconds and I'm that's like that's rubbish yeah. That is garbage. Yeah, he played me everything. He played, I think, seven out of nine tracks from the album. And I said, um, maybe she went to a different concert. <laughs> <laughs> he played more than half the album. Yeah, and that did. was just off the top of my head. And I just thought, what is wrong with some people? Did she spend too long at the bar before the show started? I don't understand <laughs> how you can come out of a concert like that when your favorite album's Purple Rain. He plays three quarters of the songs and you come out and go, he didn't play one song from my favourite album. <laughs> and I just, I still see that woman when I go to the post office. <laughs> I just, fans like those, who needs? 
I just thought that was an interesting little story. It just reminded me about Purple Rain and, and that <laughs> stupid woman. <laughs> anyway. I always think it's funny how, like, we're always paying him out for playing Let's Go Crazy for the 15th bazillion time and Purple Rain for the 15th bazillion time. But when you're there and it comes on, you're like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> go, go, you good thing. <laughs> Get on your bike. Everyone comes out, oh, it was the best version of Let's Go Crazy I've ever heard of. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it's, it comes up to Purple Rain, the guitar solo starts, and you're like, come on, Top Fred, Top Fred! <laughs> Great. Get your hand off your whammy. Have a Top Fred moment. Come to the next Prince concert. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's what I want to see. The next, next Prince concert I want to go to. I just want to see him play Top Fret. I don't care what song it is. <laughs> <laughs> Captain Captain doesn't want the Triple Threat Tour. He wants the Top Fret Tour. Yeah, it'd be, it'd be good. As long as I'm close enough to see it, that'd help. <laughs> That's it. Yeah? I can't believe we're done. Hmm. It's the end. I can't believe we've reached this point. Did I you don't... ever think we'd make it? Oh. I remember we started all the way back then. January 2009. We started with Indigo Nights, which at that point was the, the most up-to-date album. <laughs> we'll work our way backwards, and we did that for a while, and then we jumped around a bit, and we've sort of shuffled around a bit, and we've got here to Purple Rain, and we've finally done it. They're it's, all done. All been... the Prince albums are done from the Peach and Black podcast. Yeah, I mean, including the, the two latest ones, you know, Plectrum mm. Electrum and Artificial Age were the two most recent albums that he has released, and we've reviewed both of those. It's been an amazing journey. I actually never thought of whether or not we would get to this point, because we started out with this really ambiguous idea, almost, about what we wanted to do. We were just catching up, talking to each other about the music that we enjoyed, and and the idea was just, yeah, let's let's talk about Prince's albums one by one. I never even thought about the end. Yeah. And and this is not the end. This is probably a good segue opportunity for me to say this is not the end of the Peach and Black podcast by any means, but... It's just the beginning. <laughs> 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 but it is definitely a, a bookmark of an era, I guess, because we've covered all, all of his official album releases and some bits and pieces in between there. So, stick around. The show is not over. The show may never be over. It ain't over. So, uh, keep listening and there'll be uh, all sorts of weird and wonderful things coming up uh, eventually. Yeah, I mean, we've still got, there's still a few associated artist albums which we've been meaning to review for ages and we've just haven't got to yet. Hmm. We'll get we to still that. need to do, there's still a few one-off tracks floating around that we've never talked about. We'll That's get to true. that at some That's point. True. We've got a couple of theme shows that we also haven't done yet. And what I what I mean by theme is, and I can't reveal any, I'm not going to give away any hints or clues, but just really particular conversations that the four of us have had over the years that have never gone on air and have never been officially released as a podcast. Yeah, like we'd be doing an album review and then we'd just totally go off like half an hour on this total other topic and we're like, hang on, that's another show. So, (laughs) then we just cut all that out and then back to the album review and then... Now we've got this bloody list of all these things we need to do. Well, that's right, yeah. And and luckily, we, we wrote down all of our good ideas when they presented themselves. And so, yeah, well, look, we've got a few things up our sleeve. And uh, who knows uh, what the future holds exactly. But we can't discount the possibility that Prince will be releasing more music. That's almost an inevitability, I guess. It's just a question of time, you know, whether he's going to do another solo album or a group album or whatever the case may be. So, lots on, uh, but nothing uh, specific. <laughs> to tell you guys about at the moment. So, well, I'm sure we can say probably from now the episodes might be less frequent. I don't think it's going to be guaranteed every month anymore. 
which it has been for a while now. Yeah, I think that's fair, Captain. I think for people that have been listening to us, uh, especially some of our long-term listeners who have been been with us from the beginning, and certainly our regular uh, listening. I wouldn't say they're regular <laughs> listeners. <laughs> well, I would say that our regular listeners who have been with us for a number of years potentially uh, would be used to the one a month or so schedule. But yeah, you're right, Captain. That will probably slow down, but you never know. I mean, there, there's plenty of stuff that we can do and we will get to things that, that we haven't done yet. So, this is not just a show about reviewing albums, although predominantly that's what it's been about. There's plenty of other stuff that we're going to talk about and get into, but it, it might be every two months. Uh, so, don't sweat it if you don't hear from us for a couple of months because we'll be back with something. We'll still be on a Facebook and the Twitter and the Twit face and all the things. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're busy doing the Peach and Black movie. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Never to be released. Yeah, that's right. Um, so, it depends there. We'll take it out of the vault. So, you never know. I mean, uh, look, I'm not going to... I won't put it past us to never call an end to this to this show. Uh, I mean, I think that's a, a, that's a possibility that, that it'll just... Look, it, un- it, until one of us dies... <laughs> And then, even then, then you'll probably do like a tribute show for the, for the guy that passed away. <laughs> so it's a, it's never over till there's only one guy left. So there's at least there's at we'll least four there's at least four tribute shows that you can look forward to <laughs> with all the best bits. <laughs> That's going to be sad for the for the poor bugger who's last. I'll be sitting there when I'm 98, like doing trying to do editing with my arthritis hands, and I'm like I can't. Do anymore <laughs> <laughs> the last episode starts hello hello <laughs> yeah and he said two hellos what's going on <laughs> actually i would encourage listeners if they haven't gone back to listen to older episodes they're all there on the podbean site they don't come up on the front page so if you go back on the side, it tells you, you know, October 2012 and November 2013. But like all those episodes are all still there. So if there's an album that you haven't heard yet yeah, and you haven't realized that we have actually reviewed it, go back. You'll find it there somewhere. Yeah. Because chances are we have reviewed it. Well, I think it's safe to say that on behalf of myself, Player, Toe Jam and Captain, it's been, as I said, an amazing ride. So, I won't sound like a broken record, but the real key message that I want to send out is, and you hear it all the time from people doing this sort of stuff, thank you to the listeners. I genuinely mean every part of that sentence. You know, when you start something like this, you have no idea whether a single person is even going to find you on this massive interweb. And even if they do, will, will they have any interest in what you're talking about? And and even if they do, are they going to have any interest in coming back to hearing you again? And even if they do that, is there any possibility of them regularly subscribing to A Labor of Love, which is the show that we put together, and you know becoming, and becoming regular it- listeners? And I never knew that would happen. And I'm eternally grateful uh, for everyone who enjoys the show. So I remember that first episode, the Indigo Nights. I remember when we got up to like 200 hits and I'm like... Like two hundred people. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Surely yeah, not. It's going to be like that one guy like, hitting it two hundred times or something. I remember I was thinking, oh, if we can get fifty listeners, that'll, that'll be all right. So, <laughs> yeah, and and without giving too much away, 
we've gone from talking to each other offline about, you know, getting 50 listeners, 100 listeners, and now on a regular basis, we have thousands of listeners around the world, that is, that tune into the show, you know, every time we release an episode. And that's an incredible feeling. And, and it keeps us going because it's something that we enjoy doing, but, you know, we prepare for it. It's not really work because we love every part of it, but there's still an amount of, well, it is work. <laughs> I'm just thinking of Captain as I say that. As I said that, <laughs> it is actually, uh, especially editing the show, putting it together, and putting that final polish before you guys put it. In, uh, polish? When has this show ever had? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have right. to make their commute amazing. <laughs> that's right. Polish. Yeah, that's right. But no, I mean, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of effort that goes into it, and um, but I, I think it's safe to say we all enjoy what we do which is why we keep doing it and uh that's pretty much it for me uh, we, you know we've uh, i'll just say that the last thing i mean i will say that this has been one of the best things i've ever done from the point of view of i think hanging around with you guys for so long we, we've we've done it you know as a as a group of four guys from the land down under getting together with this crazy idea and seeing it through and we're still here we're not saying goodbye but we're just saying it's been uh, a while and uh thanks for listening so Anyway, what else have you guys got to add? No, that was good. <laughs> it's like, a, I think I'll go with what MC said. Yeah. Well, the only thing left is now for Prince to come on the show. That's it. That's true. And say, and say thank you for listening to all my music, ripping it apart. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. And don't you ever forget that the only person that really knows anything about my music is me. So... <laughs> you know, just keep that in mind. <laughs> All I will say is it's been fun and will continue to be fun. <laughs> I just want to thank the extended family that we've got that helped us along the way. People like Shelby, Nikki, Reverend, who does our artwork, oh, uh, Seth. Great artwork. Yeah, there's a lot of people that have helped us along the way. And Mr. Seth should- Mountain Dew Everett. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of people that helped us, so thank you, because we wouldn't be here without them either. Well, the other thing you just got me thinking, player, was uh, the people in Prince's camp that have liaised uh, oh, yeah. with us directly over the years. There's been, there have been many of you, so we won't mention everyone. But there <laughs> several have, managers. <laughs> there have been se- several contacts over the years, and but the one thing I will say is they've all been great and. They've always been very uh, understanding of what we do and we've been understanding of where they're coming from and we've always managed to make things work. So, from the the actual uh, trip to uh, spend some time with Prince himself in uh, New York back in late 2010 to uh, some things we did in association with them for the Australian 2012 tour to bits and pieces, you know, around the place. So, yeah, it's been fun. Well, there's this other guy we have to thank as well. Uh, I, I think his name's like Prince or something. Is that it? <laughs> he recorded a few songs. They're you okay. Know, you know, over what, a I'm number gonna, of years. I got to say, like you hear all these stories about Prince and and all that, what you expect him to be behind the scenes. But he's been really, when you think of it, pretty supportive of the show. Like he has been pretty good. Well, we're still here, so that's a good yeah, sign. But also, too, all the times we've you know made contact and all that, it's, it's been really cooperative. Yeah, I'd say so. And I think, you know, my gut tells me that they know what we're about and we're not, we've never been from day one, even though it's a fairly uh, dynamic show in that we don't follow the same structured format every single time we allow the conversation to go where, you know, and I think all of us are honest with our opinions. We don't 
feel like there's any reason not to be. We're not on terrestrial, ra- you know, we're not on commercial radio. We don't have ads. We don't, we're not serving anyone other than, well, we're not serving anyone. We, we're just, <laughs> we're, we're doing this because we enjoy it. And it comes from a place of honesty. And so, you know, we review albums, we talk about the music and, and everything that we find interesting. And that's basically it. So, we're fading out. We're fading out. We're fading out. We're